It's the 31st of July, and we're back for another episode of Auto Catch Up. And um, this week, we've got a couple of key things to to cover, and um, you, I think you're going to enjoy the, the conversation a lot. Um, if uh, if you see stories that you, you, over the week, or if there's anything that you'd like us to review, you can also um, send us an email, shows at dailyautofix.com, and uh, we'll, we'll be happy to answer those. We'll talk about those in a future episode. But back with me this week, we've got Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo and Mick McWilliams at Low Flight Tech. Uh, how are you gentlemen this week? Evening, gents. Ahoy. I'm super. <laughs> because you now sounded. it's Queensland and it's not freezing cold. Sorry, I just have to keep digging in. I just have to keep digging into Joel while it's I can. Twi- it's double figures. So it's know, not too it's bad. Queensland. <laughs> yeah. It and was before we go into lockdown because it's down at a... Say so you go, Ash. Oh, I think that uh, I think that whiskey has hit you a little bit harder, Mick. Um, <laughs> we're losing you a little bit, but um, whilst we sort that out, Joel. So we'll we'll, um, we'll, we'll chat to you first. Uh, so what have you been up to uh, this week, Joel? You've had a bit of last minute work um, with the Shannon guys again. Yeah, just a little bit of a quick overview filming for the guys this week. Um, yeah. It's weird walking around. Obviously, we're in Mask Central at the moment, Victoria. So um, learning to work with a mask is, um, you know, as soon as you leave the house, you have it on. So uh, I'm finding it, um, yeah. Harder, well, easier and easier to get used to working with with a mask on. But um, yeah, it, uh, the good thing is that because being so cold in Victoria, wearing a mask it does keep your face warm. Um, but we, I headed into Shannon to just do a last bit of work this week for the guys. Just uh, the cut, the showroom is all being prepped for their next auction, which starts in just under a month's time um, for their um, next online auction. And there's some amazing stuff in there, which we'll talk about closer to to auction start time. Um, but yeah, we just did a quick filming uh, this week of just. The, the showroom in Melbourne lined up with all the cars uh, on display so I was in there just doing a little bit of stuff but beyond that I've literally sort of been hiding at home this week with um Lockdown in Victoria continuing and the numbers in Victoria are a little bit uh, very, very scary at the moment in terms of just the, the outbreak that we've had. So staying safe at home is the, the best place to be really. Yeah, look, and you know we're we're staring it down a, a little bit more as uh, as well. We had a unfortunate um, string of cases, uh, which um, <laughs> if you've been paying attention to the news locally here in Australia, you, you're definitely going to be aware of it. And um, you know uh, we don't really need to talk about it here, but in the end, um, yeah, we're looks like we could be um, you know, very much potentially looking at a, a similar situation if um, if things don't improve and if these clusters um, do materialise. I think, um, you know, we've learned a little bit from uh, Victoria's side and, um, you know, we're, we're, we're taking um, some precautions pretty early on. Um, even Bunnings and Woolies are, are now requesting, they're not forcing, um, but requesting um, people wear a mask when they visit their stores. And I think, look, in general, that's pretty uh, pretty reasonable requests. Look, it's a safe um, way to play it, really. You Absolutely. Know, you can buy masks quite cheaply now, and they're they're safe enough to wear. And the you know, if if people are wearing masks, it helps to to really reduce yep. the effect um, and the the severity.
severity of possibly getting it. It doesn't stop it completely, but it does help to reduce it. So, yeah, I think um, yeah. with the small outbreak that's been in Queensland, I think it's definitely worth just playing it safe uh, for everyone to, to do that, really. Absolutely. But um, best of all, it, uh, if you're going for a drive and uh, not hopping out anywhere, look, you've got n- not much to really worry about. Um, and uh, that's what I've been doing a little bit uh, this week. So this week I've been um, just wrapped up driving the um, the Kona EV and um, in, in the Highlander spec. And we, we, we spoke about it a little bit last week, but um, this is my second time driving that, that car now. And... Um, you know, coming back to it and, and thinking about it, look, I can see why they've sold, you know, 100,000 of them, um, you know, worldwide so far because for an electric car, for its price, I think there's there's not much to really complain about. It's got plenty of space for all, all of your passengers. You've got a ton of boot space. Um, there's there's lots of little cubbies. The the infotainment system's great. The performance is great. Um, and you know when you're getting 450 ish kilometers, depending on how you drive, you know I think that's a pretty um, yeah a pretty good a pretty good range. And it was something that um, bar one little charge that we did when going into the city for a meeting. Um, and and we certainly, you know, it's something people don't really not realize when, um, particularly in Brisbane anyway, the Brisbane city council makes their, um, their, their council car parks. The, if you turn up in a hybrid or an electric vehicle, you get half price parking. And so what would have cost us $25 to park for a few hours ended up only costing $12.50. And the bonus on top is that we were able to charge the car there as well. So it wasn't a super fast charger, but it was a, um, you know, in, in a couple of hours, we are able to add 80Ks to our range. And so that made sort of getting through the whole week, doing about 500 kilometers um, of driving in total, meant that I, I didn't have to think about charging once because, you know, it, it's, it's a good enough, fair, decent range um, that I think most people, and we spoke about it last week with the, um, the Mercedes-Benz app, you know, working out, how far and what you do in terms of your driving distances um, takes away a lot of that range anxiety that you get with with cars that don't have that far. Um, so yeah, it was um, it's a really nice. It was just a nice, relaxing experience to to be back in that that car again. And um, yeah, absolutely loved it. But then moving on on this week, and uh, Mick got out of it, and I'm now in it, and um, and that's the the Ionic um, plug-in electric vehicle. So you know, it's it's kind of funny. It's um, I've I've become so used to how um, the the Kona drives and how even the Ionic drives in its full electric form. Um, that I have to sort of retrain myself in, in how to drive um, in the plug-in hybrid because obviously if you accelerate over a certain level, it's going to kick in the engine and um, you know, you're going to start using a little bit more fuel and, and, and things like that. But um, So I've, I've only done about 50 kilometers in it today, but, um, but I'm looking forward to, to driving it more and, and learning um, how kind of like what this happy medium vehicle is, you know, it's smack bang in the middle in terms of price um, and obviously t- 
tight, you know, level of electrification. Um, and, you know, we, we, we talked about it last week with Mick and how, yeah, it, it kind of feels like this is the the happy medium Um you know, for everything. So, yeah, it was. Um, I'm looking forward to that, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, and then I think I can't remember what I'm jumping into after that. But um, yeah, so it's been a lot of Hyundai lately. <laughs> are you only charging when you're out and about, Ash? Are you not charging at home at all? Yeah. So I'm. Um, the thing is, like, because I've got to park the car outside. Um, yeah. So there's I no. I have to run a cable and. Okay. And, 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 so. So in. So theoretically, you're using it as if you were living effectively in an apartment block that wasn't set up to charge at home. So you're literally using it in terms of where your destinations are or where you're going exactly. and part of your day. But you've you found it from obviously it's a bit different because you've only just picked up the Ionic. But with yeah. the. the um, with previous electrics, you've always said that you've kind of based your day around where you've been or whatever else and finding time to drop it into somewhere to charge. So yeah, it, yeah. it goes to show that you shouldn't be afraid to buy an electric if you don't, if you live in an apartment or live somewhere where you can't set up an, an a mm. your own charger because you can work it around depending on where you live or where you work, that you can set it up around, you know, a charging system yeah. so that you can still charge it if you're... Yeah still doing sort mm-hmm. of city kilometers and things like that yeah. yeah and and i think um you know the i'm not sure about other councils in in other parts of of oz and and what they're doing but um like even if if you do work in the city um obviously things are a little bit different at the moment but if you regularly work in the city normally um you know you could, you could look at getting a monthly parking permit for you know um, King George Square or um, some of the other council parking facilities in the city, and you automatically get a fifty percent discount, um, and that also counts. Like if you drive a Corolla Hybrid um, or a Rav Four Hybrid, um, so it doesn't have to be full electric either. Um, you get to park in there for half price. It's pretty and good. Yeah, and seeing the number of need... hybrids that are available on the market now. Yeah, and and the thing is that I don't think a lot of people realize this. So, look, maybe it will change, and maybe they'll redefine um, what they will offer the the discount to, um, because they do have about um, in King George Square, right in the middle of the city, they have about I think it's about eight car parks right at the top reserved for charging and everything like that and um and that you know as you'd imagine it's a council car park so it's a little bit cheaper than everywhere else you know brisbane's got some of the most expensive parking in the world and um and so that car park fills up really really quickly and um the best the best thing is is that um you know we get to have essentially like these revert you know reserved car parks um for you at the top which don't really fill up all the time um and even if it does you can leave the key because it's fully staffed um you can leave your key with the, the the parking attendants and what they'll do they'll shuffle the cars around to make sure that everyone gets a, a, a you know a decent charge throughout the day so when you do go pick up the car in the afternoon you do practically end up 
walking away with more charge than what you started with at the mm. you know when you parked um so yeah not only do you get a, that, a huge discount on your parking um you get free charging yeah. so it's it's those things that really start to add up and even more and more um office buildings in the city do have charging available if you're you know if your workplace um you know is a tenant in there um as well as uh you you're finding more and more shopping centers are having charging facilities now not all of them are going to be compatible um but you know, there's a there's a Coles not too far away from me which has um, free charging, um, and it's branded as a Coles charger. You just use the Charge Fox. Network. Oh, really? It's um, actually branded as Coles, even as a Charge Fox. Yeah, and um, and it's free. So and it's you, free. That's good. The only thing you have to bring is um, your own cable. So um, the cable that's compatible to the to the system and to the into your vehicle, which. It, if some some vehicles come with those cables already, um, like the Leaf typically comes with everything that you need. So um, is it at the at the charger end? Is it like a normal, effectively power? No, so it's a it's a it's a proper. Um, electric vehicle charging station it just doesn't have the the charging cables built into it yeah right um so i think that's just to help lower the the maintenance cost for them um versus um having well, to, exactly. to maintain not having things. to worry about broken cables and whatever else yeah yeah, yeah. if your cable so, works then you yeah. know it kind of it kind of works for everything else so yeah, so it's not the fastest charger, as you probably imagine. You know, those fast chargers are quite expensive to, to install. Not only is it the hardware, mm. but the, the power supply that you have to make available to it. Um, but, you know, you're getting a, a 22 kilowatt hour, you know, charge through it, which is, you know, it, it's it's certainly faster than plugging into the wall. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. So, yeah, I think... Um, I've really tried hard with um, with these vehicles lately to to really act in a way that I think a l- more and more people are kind of living these days in either you know they're not paying the money to to have the chargers installed you know like a faster charger at home because they don't want to spend another two to three thousand on that um, but also at the same time, um, you know, people don't want to leave a, a wall charger in there and it's charging at a super slow rate because, you know, like the Kona EV, for example, I think it would take like something like 28 hours if you were just charged into yeah. a normal 10 amp pl- plug, um, you know, which may, maybe during COVID isn't such a big deal um, if we're spending more and more time at home. But if, um, but if you are charging overnight, like you, you're going to get a little bit, you know, a little bit back, but you're not going to be walking away with a full charge. Yeah. That makes morning. it a big ask in terms of trying to, to do that. But yeah. because if you're, you know, if you're in Victoria or maybe some part of Sydney at the moment, then and you're working from home, then it's not so crucial to be able to have that sort of, you know, you're not worried about that number. You can literally go and do your errands or just jump out to do your supermarket shopping on on electric yeah. and come back. Because yeah. you know, for the small amount of kilometres that you're doing, um, it is quite economical but yeah the hardest thing is is that people that are in you know apartments and things like that it's 
it, it's not easy to to have that set up unless you're going to pay to have it installed in your parking space or your apartment block you know is new enough that they've already thought ahead of time and and put in the the charging points yeah. um but yeah it, it's and even then like, you know some of the some of these buildings that are making charging available you know they they have a you know 50 apartments or even more and they've only got like two or even four Mm. electric vehicle car parking spots and what are you doing mickey when you've got electric charging at home generally uh yes i am obviously there's a lot of people staying home at the moment because i've got the most woeful internet um, (laughs) bandwidth tonight (laughs) (laughs) so everybody's streaming something by the sounds of it um you guys get the little rats running to and from the lines is that right yep (laughs) hey yeah but I mean, so normally what I did when I had the EV last week, oh, I had the FEV last week as well, the Ionic. Um, is yeah, I just plug it into a 10 amp plug overnight in the shed, and and just let it go. And it usually gets uh, so what does it do? 2.1 kilowatts. So you know, it's you're getting sort of 20 kilowatt hours, so 150 k's a night if you just leave it plugged in for a regular interval. I mean, I've got a double bay shed at home so it's it's easy for me it's not a not a concern for space or anything or convenience or anything like that hmm. uh, but I, I i found um well even with the i actually quite like the ionic with the fev um as i was talking last week you know you put it into sport mode and you've got the dual clutch transmission there and essentially you become a um a fairly brisk um small to medium size hatchback with uh, with pretty good response and, and mm. a pretty good attitude mm. and then when you get stuck in the traffic you just put it back into ev mode anyway and it goes on mm. about its business so i mean it's kind of against the whole principle of moving towards evs to spend as little co2 as possible yeah but it is an incremental benefit if you're driving around um in sport mode like like i was um but you know, I, I quite liked it actually. I thought it was quite good, and I I did find that the overnight charge was generally enough for uh, normal uh, errands that we do. So f- driving into town to drop the kids off, do a bit of shopping or whatever, and then come back home again. It it had enough range to change overnight to charge overnight, and not deplete it to a point where um, where there was nothing left. But you can't get to uh, work what, back, what, Mick. Well, no, because to to work them back. Well, I could for the for the Kona, mm-hmm. um, but I couldn't recharge the amount of um, of power that I used on the trip to get to work and back by using the the ten amp plug at home. Yeah. Because my round trip is uh, two hundred and twenty eight kilometres. Yeah. So um, that's that, that's a pretty pretty rare occurrence, I reckon, for for most people. So it's mm. not not necessarily indicative of just how useful it is for. No, for but in saying that, though, for someone um, like you that lives outside of CBD and commutes a fair distance, having something that can kind of do that kind of commute, you know, it would be nice to be able to do it purely on electric. So the the as the numbers gain higher in the economy and things like that, I. Think I think it's important that the more cars that can allow able to do that. I mean, I, I suppose the other thing is is that, you know, your work, workplace is not set up for it, but as more businesses, depending on, you know, how they come out of COVID, if to allow for people to do this sort of stuff and being able to help people that, that maybe want to reduce their running costs and, and go on the trip, having a charger on site would then you know, allow people to be you know, almost carbon neutral in terms of their, on their commute. 
Yeah, well, I, I would yeah, even yeah. say that, um, you know, for, for somebody doing the trips like you're doing, Mick, um, paying a little bit to have a, a, a home charger installed would make a lot of sense because then you'd whack it on to charge and, and you might, you, you know, you, you get most of your your energy back of what you use that day and um, basically it'd take out even the worry when you're dealing with a car that does about 400 and 400 or 450 k's of range that would purely take yep. away that worry about um, range anxiety because at the moment plugging into a 10 amp plug you know you're going to have to go to a fast charger at some point or or not go to work yeah, for one right. day to, to get ahead um, but that's, yeah what I, what I did was just take one trip to, to Toomble and yeah, yeah. fill Out it up to, to 80% yeah. How long did that take? Yeah. Um, Just over about an hour, one Cinnabon. Yeah. One Cinnabon. That's all right. And is that including the lineup? Yeah, <laughs> Who's that with? Is that that's, Charge, uh, Charge Fox? Fox. Uh, so that's Charge Fox. Yeah, so yeah. I, so I'm I, impressed with their setup in terms of how quick that sort of stuff can cycle up to to give you a decent charge in a in a fairly short period of time, enough to get you for you to consume a, a Cinnabon. Hey, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And, I mean, and but look, I, I didn't do it with the Ionic because it was just a... Some of these so vehicles the aren't charging as fast. The, sorry, you go. Yeah. Here. So, yeah, the Kona was 21 kilowatt hours. <clears throat> uh, sorry, 21 kilowatts charge rate. But the Ionic Fev doesn't have a chatter mode uh, adapter, so you're just doing uh, the standard plug-in anyway, which is only the 2.1 kilowatt yeah, capability, so, so there's no half. point recharging at Toomble. But it's got a petrol station, so... Yeah. But I did have to, um, I did have to fill it up to halfway for the fuel tank for my wife to be confident enough to drive it, so she didn't get range anxiety, even though it indicated over 500 kilometres range. But um, <laughs> and you can just, just fill it up it's at confidence. the petrol station. It's all confidence. That's right. It's well, not it's, so where, it's where the fuel gauge looks in terms of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, look, yeah and, right. and, and so the thing for me this week in driving the Ionic is getting. You know, working out where does the Ionic with the plug-in hybrid um, factor into the decision if you're looking at um, like a, a, a RAV4 um, or a Corolla hybrid um, and what advantages do you get by choosing the plug-in hybrid, which has got, I think, when I looked at it today and, um, you know, it, it told me about 50Ks of pure electric and then um, about another 800 off the off the fuel or something like that. Um, you know, like, yep. is there is there an advantage to having that? Or, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're smart enough and you learn the, you know, the, the hybrid tech in the Toyota, for example, well enough, you can kind of drive around in EV mode in start-stop traffic anyway. Um, are you better off yeah, buying a hybrid or are you better off, um, you know, choosing the the plug-in hybrid? I, th- I think that I, I think the plug-in hybrid is, is the better option. And I'm not... Yeah. I mean, from, from a purely cost perspective, mm-hmm. you can probably leverage the cost off the hybrid in the Toyota better. Yeah. So you'll spend less money, but you'll annoy everybody around you. Because yeah. to be able to stay in that performance envelope that allows it to remain in pure EV, mm-hmm. you've got to be pretty slow, to be honest. Yeah. 
Um, so obviously the EV capability in the um, in the Ionic, you can you can lock it into EV mode if it's got enough battery capacity, and even if you don't, the level of performance is still good enough for you to get along in traffic without being a pain in the ass and annoying mm. other road users. But I think what what I found about the Ionic that was more attractive was that it it did, it did have some duality to it, and it felt. A lot more. So it was the premium version, and it felt premium, like it. Yeah, and I was about I to say, say that premium, it, but it, it felt feels, a lot nicer. It feels nice. You get the heated and cooled seats. Yeah, heated steering wheel, the nice big widescreen infotainment system, um, a yep. decent. Um, I think it's Infinity um, sound system. Like yep. yeah, it's it's a decent fit. The car looks alright. Like it's not an ugly car. Um, I had a I had a guy come up to me straight away as soon as I had it. Yeah. Wow, what's that car? That's really nice. I'm like, yeah. well, I I didn't expect it at all because you know it's it's grey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's a nice grey. It's a it's a nice color. It's not, it's not yeah. Toyota grey. If if anybody listening kind of gets what we mean, but you know, it, it seems like yeah. it's got a little bit of personality to it at all. Um, but yeah, it comes I, I back, comes back that... to that discussion that we had last week, where I think Hyundai has done a really good job with their design language so far and that and they're just making cars that that you know they're, they're leaning forwards a little bit in terms of pushing um you know what they're doing from a design standpoint yep. they, they're going like even the kona like the convona the kona in its design in in some areas you know it, it doesn't they haven't used sort of like the standard cookie cutter of what an suv kind of should be um, and they've kind of done yep. their own little thing in that way. Um, and I think they've actually inspired a few other car makers by going in that direction. And, um, yeah, so I think I think that kind of leads in and that the Ionic kind of feels like it, it, it could be just a regular road car where they've added that plug-in, you know, the plug-in hybrid and the EV tech rather than, yeah. you know, this has been a completely bespoke but it's, model it's got, for it. it's got good space too. Like, you know, yeah, you, don't, you don't feel like you're sitting in an Econo box. And that one with the premium too, I don't know if you've noticed, but they've changed the materials on the dash. So if you get the base model Ionic, um, they've got like a much harder plastic on the dash and the door trims mm-hmm. and everything. But with the premium one, they've actually got softer touch rubbers and um, and surfaces and, and mm-hmm. fittings. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit nicer. And I, yeah. I just think the whole uh, environment of the cabinet is a lot better. I mean, it doesn't feel like you're driving, a, you know, an $80,000 um, Mercedes or an Audi or something, but no. it, I don't know. It just it just feels more together and touch, more premium. touch it and feels feel like is a, a little bit nicer. Up. I think you're going to get a lot more positive comments if you put someone in the car and they haven't experienced one before. Like, I think there'll yep. be a lot of pleasantly surprised comments rather than like, oh, yeah, I expected this to be nice. Um, and I think it, oh, have again... You, have, you put any, have you put anyone in the, uh, in the Kona EV and just floored it? Yeah, I, and I get comments all the time. Like, uh, I was getting comments of like... Particularly my sister, she's a, I don't know, she she loves to be a bit of a rev head sometimes, but at the same time, at the same time she's a bit of a, you know, a sedate type driver. And I just love, yep. you should take a drink out of a water bottle and I just love to floor it at that exact point as she lifts it up to her mouth <laughs> and uh, continues to empty the entire contents of the water bottle all over her. Um, oh, you make a great dad one day. 
Yeah, that's a dead <laughs> so, moment. Yeah, like that's you know, it, it's <laughs> just the performance of it is, is great. Um, and yeah, it, and like what we said last week ago, um, I wonder what how it would perform, and even the Ionic, um, how they would perform if you took off the eco tires and put on some uh, regular road or even slightly, you know, the mild performance orientated tires, um, just to handle yep. that that torque a little bit better right at the start. But, yep. um, but so sure. you've been driving the Tucson a little bit this week. Um, I had my time have, a few I'm... weeks ago. <laughs> how, how have you found it? I made a bit of a boo-boo. I got in I got in it and um, being the elite, uh, I gave it a little bit of stick and thought, oh, gee, it could do with a bit more boost. This turbo's a bit soft. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's the uh, two-litre direct-injected front-wheel drive version, yes. not the, not the yeah. turbo version. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I could do with more boost. Yeah. Um, I was quite surprised, by, though, by the, by the two-litre and how it performed. I mean, it's... Mm. It's good off the line. Um, it ambles around town, no problems. Uh, you can cruise in it. Feels nicely settled, and you know it's it's a nice, relaxing drive. I thought the the confidence of the handling is quite good. Um, but going up hills, it starts getting pretty yeah, peaky yeah. And, and buzzy, and um, I guess the the illusion is lost. Hmm. Um, but I guess it's it's the same with anything. You know, what are you using things for if you? Um, just using it as a as a family taxi, mm. um, I, I, I think it works quite well. Comfort's quite good. Do you it think just... it, the the elite badge matches the spec in it? Like you know, like I, I, said I think that it I feels got, elite. Yeah, like I caught out, I got caught out and got confused with between you know elite and Highlander. I always think you know think of like hotels and airlines and things when you think oh you're elite I'm thinking oh this is and, and then I got in I'm like oh this isn't kind of what I feel like when they call something elite um, and I know that's just yeah, what they call it but it's, you know it's if, you, if you're new yeah, to know, it and I mean, you're uninitiated you're, so you're probably a bit old to remember Christopher Lambert but you know there can be only one so <laughs> the Highlander is it's it's the top of the pops man you can't get any better than that um but yeah i, I kind of agree like it's kind of like a it's a platinum or a you know that sort of thing elite does yeah. certainly sound like it's supposed to be top of the mm. but i mean what are you going to call it otherwise mediocre or middle of the road or no that's um, just for the journalists sli- slightly what... above average <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but, i mean it's it, it is one of those conundrums that they have um and you know in advertising in general as well you know they always try and talk things up even um you know one of the habits that i often see in uh in advertising for cars is they'll talk about a particular feature because they've just got it but other people have had it forever you know what i yeah, mean like yeah, there's yeah. um the same sort of thing you know you got to come up oh, with look, apple's sort good of at it that they'll tell you that something's new and it's been a feature in an android phone for for five years doesn't mean what they're doing oh, is yeah. worth any less but you know it's 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 all about you know positioning um and relevance to your to your particular yeah, market right. anyway um but i mean i i, I still think the um the position of the elite is still good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I, I didn't get to talk about it the other week because, um, you know, I had to drop out from the a few weeks ago when they were talking mm-hmm. about the Santa Fe with the um, uh, with the ActiveX model. Yeah. So whether or not they were listening to us and me complaining about the fact that you still had to 
put a key in a barrel for the base model, <laughs> active or not. Um, they added those. They added those features to it, and um, the elite is the same. Oh, actually, I'm not sure if the Active X in this in the um, Tucson has it or not. But um, you know, the Elite has all the basics that you would expect in a yeah, in a exactly. modern con- convenient motor car. Yeah. So yep. you know, push button start, lane departure warning, all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, and then you go to the Highlander and you get all the additional fancy things like the sunroof, moonroof thing, and the mm-hmm. um, auto dipping wind mirrors and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I actually quite like that that middle spec. I think it's a pretty good a pretty good um uh an accessible point where you you know you trade off for things that aren't necessary but mm-hmm. still get a nice car on the end of it i think and I, I still think the tucson is a pretty good looking car um you know i don't I, there's something about cx5 that i find awkward the wheels don't look right or something or it looks uh, i don't know it, it it doesn't quite fit i think it's one of those ones again the um the theme I talked about last week with the um, previous generations of Audis where they were same sausage, different lengths. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the Mazda stuff has got that similar sort of problem where they've tried to get too many of the um, common design factors incorporated into proportions of vehicles that aren't appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the Tucson is quite distinct from um, from the other products. Mm-hmm. It's still got a bit of a family resemblance, but I think they've got the, um, the proportions of the design around about right, which... Yeah, it makes me a bit nervous for the next Tucson, which they've said is going to be quite polarizing. I remember when we looked at a few weeks ago the i30 um, sedan that's coming. Ah, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, with a very faceted triangle shape yep. design. Hmm. I, yeah, I'm not sure how that's going <laughs> to. And the same with the same with the Sonata as well. I don't know how that um, how that design language is going to transfer onto the um, onto the new Tucson, or whether or not yeah. they're going to get the get the balance right. Look, know. we 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 could get we could get a nice surprise. Um, you know, well, it's it be good. It could be outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but look, let's jump into some of the local news. Not as much news this week, but some pretty significant ones anyway. Um, so first up is Genesis. Um, they've opened their test driver center in Sydney. Um, so that's now open in Parramatta. And essentially, it's um, before they had their, um, uh, their, their experience center in um, the, the mall in Sydney. And um, obviously, it's a great spot to, to look at the cars, experience the different specs. But to arrange a test drive, you had to organize one. And, you know, it, it's a good experience where they'll take the car to you, ex- let you experience it, whether it's overnight or a shorter period or whatever. Um, and then they'll pick up the car and then go home. Um, and so it allows you to really get to, to know the vehicle. But now, um, if you're wanting to explore a bit more of a wider range or, or to, you know, to see hands-on what the different vehicles are, then take one for a test drive. Um, you can now go to to this um, test drive center. And um, it obviously... It, it, Parramatta. Yeah. Um, yeah but it comes really in, it's in the west, not drivers. in the east of Sydney. Yeah, so look, yeah. They, they do have that that that. Oh, so what they call it, the Genesis Studio, um, in in the mall. So I guess it's one of those things where they they're covering their their space a little bit more. Like if you're basically anywhere within a, a city, you can get them to bring you a car to you. 
Um, but I guess they've done the research and, and balance of the equations of, you know, what's worth, um, you know, having you know, having a presence. Um, but obviously the timing comes in pretty well. They've got the, the the GV80 SUV and the refreshed G80 coming. Um, so the GV80, from what I can see in the in the promo photos, I've actually got one in the experience, uh, or the test drive center. Um, and that's where I guess a lot of the, the conquest um, will be for... Uh, you know, particularly for those vehicles, which I'm still, I cannot wait for it to, to arrive and, and to have one available to, to review because um, I still look at those photos and go, gee, that's a good-looking um, couple of vehicles. Um, but this, I think, really reaffirms that perhaps um, even with COVID that... You know they're, they're they're pushing forward. There's there's confidence within the Australian market that there is a spot for Genesis. Um, they're still saying that there is a the the studio um, model is to to open in late 2020 in Melbourne. Obviously, COVID 19 I'm sure will will impact that a little bit. Um, and then Brisbane in uh, 2021. So I think um, yeah, that's it's pretty exciting. It's nice to see this progress happening um, for the brand, and um, I'd I'd love to. To, to see more on the road i don't see enough unfortunately to 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 get some uh enjoyment out of seeing them on the road i think it's great that they're open a, a you know they're opening a, te- a test drive facility in sydney i'm keen to see if they do you know one in one in victoria particularly with the the number of models that are expanding but mickey did you see the spy photos of the wagon during the week I beg your pardon? Did you see photos of the Genesis no, wagon? How cool did that it's thing look? That kind of really piqued my interest. Like, I've been a Genesis fan for a little while, having driven a couple of models, and I'm excited to see more of them. But when I saw a picture of a test of a wagon being test, tested possibly overseas, I uh, mm. I even was even more excited. So, yeah, this is great. Like, you know, we know that Genesis have been doing stuff with their, obviously with the flagship studio, but also being able to, to offer test drive to people. But having an actual facility um, is really cool. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited by this. It looks pretty good. It's a nice-looking setup. There you go, Mick. I've just uh, dropped a link in the in the show notes, and we'll make it available um, as well to to those listening. Um, but the yeah, so Motor, Motor Authority are the ones that I've seen the 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 twenty twenty two G seventy wagon, and um, obviously a lot of the the telltale signs are are there that it is a indeed a, a Genesis. I think for me, the wheels are the big giveaway. Um, but yeah, it's uh, obviously very promising. Um, but yeah, no, they're this listening. Is, this they is must great. be listening. Hi, Genesis. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for everything <laughs> thank you, you do. Yeah, very I, think, much. I think they know that uh, you and you and I make you a bit of a fan of the old wagon. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a good looking thing. Oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a kind of excited. It is a little bit sort of sports wagony. Is it kind of like um, you know Mercedes style of thinking? If it is, yeah. so be it. I'll, I'll take that. But um, yeah, I'm excited by what it's saying, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll see it. It will see it in Oz. But yeah, I think Genesis are really starting to create some waves in that market of something that little bit different in terms of what's out there. Mm. Well, I'm hanging to see the uh, the sales figures for next month, um, or, or, or for July when they get released next month, just to see. 
as we um, until we sort of got a few more, you know, a bit more of a lockdown situation in Victoria and things like that. Um, if and what brands have recovered a little bit um, from the early part of the year and see where the the focus is going and um, obviously yeah to see what kind of figures uh, Genesis are making now as um, obviously as these new facilities become available to to experience and and see the car because I think the biggest barrier right now is that you know if you're in Brisbane and Melbourne in particular um, there is no way to see the vehicle um, you know, yep. you can't There's you no can't exposure. window shop it. Even you can't just walk along and and, and stumble across it. Um, even though Genesis, because I know that you're listening, um, mm-hmm. I know of a great spot opposite B and W um, that has just become available. Um, Lamborghini used to be in there. They've moved back to a, to a, to an old spot, um, but it's a great spot. It would match you perfectly. They've moved so, in Brisbane, look, have they? Yeah, they they tend to as as the ownership shifts hands, they love to to move it around. I think in the last five years, Lamborghinis had three different locations. Um, and they had different yeah, owners across well. the other side, across from Mini, didn't they? It was on yeah, it was on the opposite side, on the other you know the other side of the block for um, for BMW, which where Mini was, um, and then they moved back to where uh, the rest of like the, their family of, of brands, um, which they're you know the, the dealership group that owns them and then they moved into the new spot opposite bmw and now they've gone back from what i can understand reading the sign on their um on their doors um that they've gone back to to where the rest of their vehicles are like where bentley and um maserati and audi are so yeah it's it's a great spot huge amount of exposure um yeah genesis look i'll i'll hook you up i'll, I'll tell you who uh who you can speak to to, to get that position because i think um it's there's there's nothing better for a brand like genesis because they make great looking cars and essentially a, a purposefully undercutting the european competition um to be yep. you know if you're shopping for a bmw which the BMW dealership is a little bit elevated, but you you see right out onto the road, the first thing that you see would be Genesis. And I think for Genesis themselves as a brand establishing themselves, you couldn't ask for a better spot to to steal customers from um, and, and to make people go, oh, well, just, maybe we should just pop over the road and, and have a look at what they've got because they, they look pretty good. Um, I see that because even a little bit up the road, um, a little bit, towards the other end of where BMW are on that same strip of road. Volvo have really increased their presence there. Um, so I think yep. it, it'd be a smart move to, to to come into that space because that's, you know, that's the best spot for them when I, can, when I think of where of all the places they should go in Brisbane for, for a studio. Um, yeah, I, it, it makes sense to me anyway. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a good spot, <clears throat> and I, I just want to see more on the road. You know what I mean? Because I know. It, it's I know. it's frustrating when you when you know a product is so good, but you don't see them reflected in the market because you know people just people don't get to see them that often. And I, I know when I had that G70, it certainly got a lot of attention, and not just because I was making good use of the 3.3 liter twin turbo. Uh, <laughs> it was it was because it is a genuinely very nice looking car. 
Yeah, and I, yeah. I would get people stopping me in traffic, winding the window down, waving their arms all about to to, to have a chat with me about the car. Um, yeah. And you're talking about like that G70 what I, that I had at that time, that was like that dark metallic blue. And so it wasn't even like yep. a big standout, hey, look at me color. It was a, it was a sleek, sophisticated, you know, really classy looking um, car. And, and people still like, hey, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> what am I looking at? Yeah. Um, it's a unique know. thing. And that's the thing. I think so many of them that I've seen in Victoria were being used for obviously kind of uber black or, or air, yeah. airport runs. Yeah. But unfortunately, you know, now that travel has kind of been become such a non-event, unfortunately, I think that there's less of them on the road. But you know, for as a isn't yep. as you sort of you know be a daily driver, you want something a little bit bigger and that kind of nice big sort of grand tourer style of um, car. It's perfect for that kind of that yeah. purpose because it's just so comfortable. Yeah, and, yep. and look, I don't know if I, I mentioned it's... it to you guys the other day. I had a I had someone ask me uh, at work because obviously I turn up with a lot of different cars at work, and <laughs> uh, a lot of guys at work ask me about what sort of cars they want to buy and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And you get the same question you usually get: "Oh, what's the best car you've ever driven? And what's the car you'd buy?" Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of got caught off guard. I wasn't really thinking about it. My instinctive response to what car would you buy if you won lotto tomorrow? was a G80 and that's that, that that's a big statement based on yeah. the stuff that I drive normally yeah and the fact that the G80 isn't even a new model really I mean mm. they've done mm. significant rework to the G80 over the over the Genesis edition yeah. yeah. um, when it was a Hyundai and it does look a lot better and it's it still has its um, Hyundai roots a lot more than the the G70 had when it came out. Yeah, but it was still, it's just, it, it, it is a magic touring car. Yeah. You know, to get it out was, and go and explore it was so somewhere, easy go to for a weekend drive. A lot of kilometres on it and uh, not feel it. Yeah, and, and I did. You kind of wanted to be in all the different spots in the car, like in the back, in the front, whatever. You know, it, it wasn't one where, you know, you you had to be in the driver's seat to enjoy. So, yeah, that's... um. Yeah. But yeah. look, mate, <laughs> let's let's move on to uh, the next bit of news because I think we could all talk about um, Genesis for, for a good long while. And I think, um, uh, look, and, until we get some of the new cars in the driveway, um, we won't be satisfied. But um, but the next one, which probably will be uh, most re- relevant to you, Mick, and, and probably you know the sixty percent of uh, phone users out in the out in the world. Um, so Android Auto is now rolling out um, for for certain BMW vehicles, um, but it has a couple of little catches. So BMW for the longest time have been, um, they've, they've partnered with Apple in, you know, even from the iPod days or the early iPhone days, they've, they've had adapters and, and um, specific things to create compatibility between their, you know, Apple phones and, um, and their iDrive system. But after, you know, probably like 
I don't know, constant, constant um, questions about whether they're going to support Android Auto or not. Um, and even a few people digging through the Toyota Supra um, and its version of iDrive that it runs and, and discovering that, yeah, there is Android Auto files in there. Um, they've finally properly announced that um yeah they're going to be rolling out a wireless only um compatibility with android auto so you won't be able to plug in you'll have to have a phone that obviously supports that that um wireless android auto so what doesn't really support wireless you know yeah look as long as you've got a recent enough phone you're gonna be fine um it's gonna be pretty standard these days isn't it yeah, so look, the, and, and, and the key thing here um, with it sort of being integrated in the way and a lot of these new BMWs that have the iDrive operating system number seven, so it's kind of like the most recent cars and the cars that are obviously coming, um, it's going to also be able to integrate with the digital cockpit as well. Um, so that's just not the infotainment system that sits in the middle of the dash, but you'll be able to get apps such as like Google Maps to be able to display on the digital driver's display and the heads up as well. So I think that's kind of like a huge, um, a huge thing for at the you know the addition of Android Auto for the BMWs. Um, but yeah, so basically, the most important from- feature though is can you get your Twitter feed on the HUD? <laughs> I mean. I- so you can see whenever Elon Musk option. sort of tweets something, right? Or Trump, is that is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you know when but, uh, exactly to pull the car over and to, to go on a rant. Yep. <laughs> this is a logical progression though, isn't yeah, it really? Because it I is. mean, everything's moving to wireless chargers. So the, the requirement to plug your cord in needs to go the way of the dodo really it's mm. i mean it's a hassle every time you get in the car to have to plug something in to be able to take advantage of that um android auto capability so um natural evolution i i wish it had occurred sooner so it makes me wonder what they've done <laughs> to enable that capability i'm assuming there's a um rather than getting the full data from the phone itself they'll be running the android auto app within the car operating system and then your phone merely becomes the the channel for providing data to that app rather than um rather than mirroring what's on your phone if you know what i mean so essentially the, f- the phone becomes a, a command um transmitter rather than a um the source for all the rest of the mm-hmm. um physical inputs to the screen yeah, I assume that's what's happening because I mean, obviously the only um, issue they would have had prior to that is the amount of data that you need to be able to transfer between the phone and the car would have been quite, um, quite heavy as far as power consumption goes. Yeah, and obviously well, moving the that computing power to that, the car. So, so it still is kind of like a a screen mirroring um, feature. So it is still at the moment anyway, it is kind of like on the iPhone, it is still being powered by the, by the device. But the, the key difference here though, or the advantage is that a lot of these BMWs that are shipping with this compatibility have built in wireless charging as well. So the, the, what you're going to be able to do is essentially put the, put your phone straight into the wireless charger. You don't have to plug anything in and it's going to, 
to work and connect automatically. And this is going to build, like, even with oh, BMW so and Apple, with their car key feature that's rolling out in the 5 Series, that where the NFC is within the wireless charger spot, that's where right. you that's essentially be a dark authenticate. Point. Yeah, so that's where you authenticate that you have the phone right. and that the phone is is present in the car to start the vehicle so it's it's kind of like the the physical checks like a key card when you know when you're getting into a building and and whatnot that's how it's kind of going to work and i think that's how moving forwards because even like right now the most of the Hyundai's that I've you know that we've been driving lately have wireless charging built in but for me i i live off carplay that's what i use all the time and it's super <laughs> handy moving in between every single car because the experience is consistent for me. It's got my calendar, everything. But there's kind of like a there's a little point using the wireless charger if I've got to plug in a cable anyway to, to get the CarPlay experience. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. You know, it's great to have. It's nice to have maybe on a shorter trip, but it's not entirely practical. I'm not getting the most out of the vehicle at the moment, I feel anyway, because I still have to have a cable lying around um, to plug in. So, like, this is... I think it's a bold move going wireless only um, to do it. I think a few outlets that have experienced it already. Um, I think Android Police, one of the, the online um, news sites have said that the experience at the moment is a bit buggy and and look maybe that's why BMW have been resistant for such a long time in in rolling out Android Auto versus CarPlay because and and we all know that CarPlay isn't the most reliable either but you know I assume this will only get better Um, both BMW and Google you know will work on this and develop this it's 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 you know usually with Google if they don't want if they don't want to keep something around they won't just stop working it they'll kill the they'll kill the feature of the product anyway so don't worry (laughs) if it's still alive they're still working on it um so yeah but anyway like i think this is a a good um uh, a good step forwards they're saying that um you can use the remote software upgrade menu in your compatible car to search for the upgrade um once it's made available for over the air so if your car you know the connected drive services and things like that you should be able to download that update or i assume if not you could always drop into your dealer and say hey look um i want to you know when can i schedule to get this update pushed um yeah but yeah, so look, you know, it's it's a good thing. A lot of people are going to be happy, um, even if the you know it is a little bit buggy at the moment. But it's kind of like a lot of people who are into their tech, you know, they'll they'll accept the the shortfalls for you know for the little gain. Um, Being the early adapter, that's it. Yeah. Um, but look, this is probably the biggest news, and I think. Um, is is a really big sign in terms of uh, perhaps the resurgence of Australian manufacturing. Maybe not in the way that it has been in the past, um, where we're building cars completely or, or fully assembling cars. Here, you know, we we get the parts in and then we, you know, like a Lego set, we we put it together. Um, but. You know, in terms of we're taking vehicles that have been made, adapting them, modifying them, and selling them through a retail channel. And the latest set of, um, of you know set of manufacturers or the manufacturer to do that is um, is Toyota with their Hilux, and so they're going to be building a Ford Ranger rival. 
um, you know, the the Raptor rival, um, and but they're going to be building it, building it here, um, which I think you know, it was pretty exciting. I think it, it it adds on to the the RAM and and HSV with the Silverado of going. Look, maybe you know, car manufacturing is long dead maybe that's it that's that's all there is but in terms of adapting cars and taking cars that we don't get here or, or adapting cars and building a specialized localized version is is the way forwards it flows on from what they've already been doing with the rugged the rugged x and the road and that they yeah. were they they are literally taking stock cars that come off the boat and building them to to aussie demand styles and stuff like that so the fact that toyota have decided to go down this route is great because it means that they can do it locally and bring the car in literally create the product that we're going to see here Mm. without and obviously having two out of Japan's permission to do it, it means that they've got that ability to do that, create the product. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever checked out or seen the the, the Rogue, the Rugged and the Rugged X, but just like my favourite yep. was the Rogue, even though, look, it's the top of the range, but just the attention to detail that that thing had with the lined boot, for example, um, you know, it's got like a marine grade carpet all the way through it. So if you've ever owned a ute or driven any of the utes that have a tornado cover on it this is just brilliant because it literally seals you can put whatever you want in it and know that it's not going to be covered in dust and dirt and whatever else um mm. and just that yeah. front end change on the road was nice the added benefits that the the rugged and the rugged x had so the fact that they're going to go and create a ranger raptor um, rival, and we've seen that that overseas that there's been a couple of people that have talked about doing it and have created some form of alternative, um, and they're going to do it locally is great. And, mm. and Toyota are, are very open to this sort of stuff, so I think it's exciting, and I can't wait to see what the the final product looks like. I, I like that um, because you know, obviously, uh, the way that manufacturers. Um, try and optimize the the efficiency of their production is they try and create something that fits into every market and it doesn't always work you know we've seen it with a few vehicles that come to Australia and they've always got shortcomings in some regard like um, one of my pet hates is the is the space saver spares and the like so with the the Calais Tour that come out from Holden, you know, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, go and see the great wide open land. I hear you uh, do not exceed 80 kilometres per hour for 80 kilometres space saver spare in the back. That does not constitute touring in Australia. Like I said, you know, my round trip to, to work is 228 kilometres, so I couldn't do it with a space saver spare. Um, but the fact that they have got a very successful global product and obviously it's very successful in Australia well as well because it's the number one seller. Mm. Um, they've taken a global product that's already been optimised to get the best value out of the production component and then they're modifying it for our market, something specifically tailored to what the customers are asking for. Um, that is probably the best outcome that you can hope for without having manufacturing in the country is a manufacturer that's willing to do the modifications necessary to tailor the product to our country and we do have a unique set of needs and the rugged x and the uh, so i've driven the rugged x and the rogue um and the rugged x was was a great truck um it needs more power 
and they do get more power with the with the uh, with the coming update, uh, more torque. Um, but the clearance approach angles and the cap- capability of that truck out of the box um, was pretty impressive. So it's good to see they're continuing on with that theme and, yeah, coming up with a localization program that tailors it to Australian tastes. More, more manufacturers need to do this activity. I mean, Hyundai, Kia, they do the same thing with their suspension tuning using local engineers to come up with the um, appropriate road, road holding and... Um, uh, and dealing with our spectacular road quality, um, you know, they they tune stuff how Australians like it, and that that's that's a, a that's a key to a success. So obviously Toyota are on, the, are on the right right track here as well. And even more importantly, they're not resting on their laurels; they're already number one. They don't need to make <laughs> that's more right. high luxes more spectacular. Yeah. They're already winning. So, but in saying uh, that, though, yeah, that, more credit that, to them. Good job. That Ford have been nipping at the heels, and and we know that Ranger is doing well down here, and or sorry, in Australia, that, yep. that it is a it is that between two and four wheel drive that there is a com, uh, you know there is a, com, a competition between those two. So, you know, I think that's good that yep. that Toyota have decided to lift their game and, and come up to that Raptor level and try and do something different. Um, to add to their range um, because, you know... As we... Yeah, well, even that, uh, you know, the, the Ranger as well, it's Australian developed. So, um, of course, it's going to meet our needs as well. I mean, it is a it is a global product developed for a whole bunch of um, different disparate markets. Yeah. But the point is the the Ranger, uh, the Ford Ranger was also developed by Australian engineers. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to fit our tastes out of the box as well. So no surprise in the success of that product either. No. And it's done it's done well in, in this market. And it's good that, you know, and we've seen that since the days of when uh, Toyota first released, released the, the Rugged, the Rugged X and the Rogue, it, it, it's just offering that point of difference to that market and for Aussie tradies that want something that wants something different um, and have been a fan of that product and now we're starting to see that you know they're moving into having offering carplay and stuff like that so you know they're listening to the market they still are sticking with number one but they're not resting on their laurels they're trying to mm. to step up well, that's that's him. I'd like part, to see the like, um, you, the only way you stand top is kind of like Mercedes. Mm. Me too, Mickey. Mm. And I think now that the new one is coming, um, you know, I think it'd be great to see them to offer that because you know Ford, I think, have kind of really dropped out on that um, opportunity to really offer the opportunity to, to tweak the, the Everest. I mean, Tickford was smart and have done a engine tune and they're doing wheel packages and, and suspension upgrades and things like that for the Everest. But they are literally the only ones yep. that I know that are really doing offering that for an Everest. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a market for Toyota with the new Fortuna to do the same thing. Yeah. Good stuff. More, please. <laughs> Everybody else makes a competition. Yeah. Well, uh, one uh, one brand that's going through a little bit of a shift at the moment um, and rejig of their their strategy is um, Mitsubishi. Um, and part of that sort of adjustment in their strategy, so they're calling it a, a three year mid term business plan. Small but beautiful. Um, so look. And one of the, I guess they they didn't they didn't they didn't 
sorry, they didn't link it um, directly to this shift in plan. But um, one of the victims of that shift is the Pajero. Um, and, you know, we'll be honest, we haven't seen an update or a substantial update to the platform or to the vehicle itself in a, in a very long time, um, over a decade at the very least. Um, yep. But I guess this is probably a victim of, of COVID and the, the overall sort of... Um, change in the world and particularly the car market um not only just in australia but the rest of the world where you know in this you know in the press release they talk about you know this is a three-year midterm plan and if you think about that you go that's a pretty reasonable time to go okay over the next three years we expect that we should hopefully be emerging out of covid and, and seeing a little bit of recovery um economically and so then levels of reinvestment can can happen um and they really want to you know that they state in the in this press release that mmc wants you know and they will expand profitability by further enhancements of you know competitive edge technologies such as plug-in hybrid, um, hybrid electric vehicles, and lastly they mentioned four-wheel drive, um, you know, and, and leveraging alliance partners technologies. And when you think about who uh, Mitsubishi is, you know, aligned with in terms of um, sharing resources and things, uh, the, the Pajero doesn't really fit into that very easily compared to the rest of their you know their small to medium size SUVs. Um, and, and even Utes. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's really it's, an it's outlier not a surprise, when you but, the rest of the yeah. Renault Nissan group. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit of a shame, really, because Pajero, I mean, they, they, they've definitely died off in the last couple of years because of, because of the lack of updates. But when I think of Pajero, you know, I think of the first Pajero I saw, which was a short wheelbase one, um, which I recall like I was there yesterday looking out the back window of the Toyota Hilux we had at the time so it would have been 1985 I reckon and there was a red short wheelbase one with the uh, silver and orange sticker pack stripes on it going sideways through the red dirt up in uh, Darwin in the middle of pouring rain and just rallying all the way and looking like he was doing Paris to Dakar uh, <laughs> and you know that's that that's Pajero for me was always Paris to Dakar and the racing and the um, you know all the uh, outback rallies and trials yeah. and yeah. things like that um, and you know slowly they evolved to you know try and meet that um, the pre SUV or pre crossover I guess you'd call it phase where everybody was driving bigger and heavier trucks hmm. and they started getting more and more trucky rather than where they're going now where they're sort of erring to the wards the idea of basically being high riding traditional cars um Pajero never came back from that you know what I mean they just they progressed to the to the point where they were becoming the um one of the primary choices for grey nomads to tow caravans mm, because mm. Pajeros do that very well. Um, good talk, a lot of space to chuck all your stuff in. Pretty good off-road, really, um, and a lot more comfortable to do to ride in than the what used to be the um, larger SUVs that still had the live front axle. They had, they had an independent front end, so they're a bit more comfy to to tow your caravan in. But they just they they really petered out, um, but which is a bit of a shame, you know. It's one of those, 
what used to be hero brand brand names, which is now just sort of fading out. So a bit a bit of a shame, I think. But uh, I don't know. I, yeah, it's it's. I know really we were talking about the challenger before. You know, I think you know we. Like what you said, the the only updates that the Pajero really received were safety updates to keep it relevant and um, to keep it yeah. on somewhat of an even level. But even then, like I remember a little while ago, the only update that it received, they called it a new, a, a new model, a um, new model year, but essentially it was just um, a little bit of extra padding in the steering wheel because part of the, the ANCAP safety rating uh, um, was the... They would, lose a point if they didn't have that padding on the on the steering wheel for the head collision in a, in, a, in, a, right. in an emergency um yeah but i think uh once uh, ancap started um looking at rollover safety and and all of that the roof impact and that kind of thing um i think the the investment cost got a little bit too much for uh for mitsubishi for to yeah. Um, and the other thing is they're pulling out of Europe as well, which is an interesting, yeah. interesting move for the brand in that they believe that it's not, you know, it, it's not a smart business decision to continue in that market. And reading on from this release that they're working on the A, the Mickey, can you pronounce it? You did it better than I did before. The yeah, ASEAN, yeah. ASEAN region uh, in terms of where they're, they're focusing, which is effectively, it doesn't even include us in sort of southern Asia area. It's that area where the car, most of their cars are now made, obviously in that Thailand and Philippines, China sort of region where you do see a lot of them. If you've been to, you know, um, Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia and stuff like that, they have a very strong presence in that market. So obviously for the brand, it is a strong point. Um, and hence why we're going to see it. So they're talking about really boosting, um, you know, they're, they're talking that they're going to improve um, improvements in Outlander and improvements in, um, oh, where are we, ASX and obviously, um, well, we can Pajero Sport, which is Montero uh, Sport and, and Triton and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And they're really trying to work in that way, but they're also wanting to move more into to Fev and EV as well. So, you know, and we know that they have more work to do in that. They they do have they did do the IMEV, um, which is the fully electric kind of mm. like really super compact car. They've got the Outlander um, plug-in hybrid, and but we do know, and, we, and we've spoken about it before, that they do have a lot more to do in that space to remain more competitive and in. And probably being in Europe, there's there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of um, brands having to to go back to the the start again for their engine development to to meet these stricter um, emissions. Um, regulations and so maybe Mitsubishi going look particularly in the short term it's not worth um, spending the money to try and meet those and we might as well focus on the areas of our local you know what essentially what are these local markets and but it, but it does make me what? think are, are we seeing a contraction in global automotive brands and these brands coming back and focusing on the local markets because of how it's and it's not just COVID related but just 
you know, the, the differences now between different markets are, are growing um, as each market kind of wants to be their own and have their own identity. And so we're seeing GM, they've pulled out of everywhere but the US. We're seeing Mitsubishi now stepping back from... Um, from Europe, and uh, you know, so the next question is: Well, will they continue a US presence? Is it is it worth it, you know, for them there or or not? Because we do know that you know the, the US miss out on a lot of uh, on a lot of models from Mitsubishi. Um, so, yeah, I, I wonder if this is just the start of things to come, where brands are going. Look, we don't have to be everywhere to to still exist and and um, to 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 make cars. I'm intrigued. I think it's. Yeah, I reckon it, they're. I, I still think they're what they're doing with Mitsubishi is creating their placement within Asia mm. as a representative for the. I mean, they're part of the Renault Nissan Alliance now. Um, so Southeast Asia is an area where you can. Put put a brand and still keep the brand rel- relevant through volumes yeah. Yeah. Um, by allocating them to that particular region. Whereas Mitsubishi don't necessarily have the the clout to succeed in Europe. So you've you've still got the Renault Nissan Alliance to be able to populate the um, the markets within Europe, yeah. but you'll be competing against directly your own bedfellow in Mitsubishi. So, yeah. you know, it'll make you guys all look like mid runners, even though they're um, essentially the same automotive group so placing a brand in um in the asean region so the southeast asian region around uh, vietnam indonesia all that sort of area um will give reputable volumes to mitsubishi they won't have to compete in europe and look like they're just a a low runner and by not having mitsubishi competing with uh renault in europe the numbers for Renault also go up, so they look like a more reputable brand. So I, I think mm. this is more about removing internal competition in um, in similar markets and making everyone look like they're doing a better job in each of their individual markets. Even though, like we've said, you know, the uh, X Trail is related to the new Outlander. Um, so essentially, you're getting um, what looks like not necessarily better volumes from a, a global perspective, but in each regional area, it makes your um, offering appear to be more competitive, particularly to people who don't, who don't understand the relationship between um, vehicles that are based on the same platforms. Like, for example, the um, the Outlander volumes versus the Peugeot, was it 4008? Yeah. Which yeah. is Mitsubishi Outlander yeah. with a swapped yeah. nose and um, slightly nicer interior. Um you know, the Outlander was actually selling quite well in that generation, mm-hmm. um, and it made the Peugeot look like it wasn't selling that well at all. But essentially, the the volumes from the factory were still pretty good because they were selling both. From well, a also, point it, of view, you, it doesn't would, look as spectacular. The, the Outlander design was so, I think, distinctive at that point in time that any Peugeot that you saw, you kind of just thought it was a, a Mitsubishi anyway. So you kind of didn't, unless you looked closer <laughs> at the badge, 90% of the design on the outside. Um, and I remember I, where I was working at that point in time was at a dealership group that had Mitsubishi. And, I, and I'd never realized it, but I, it, it took me probably about half an hour of sitting behind a Peugeot um, and going, oh, what does that look like? And then it finally, you know, the the, the pin dropped and it was just like, oh, that's yeah. right. And I remember going through and talking to my boss about it and, and he said, 
what really and i said uh yeah here's a photo here's the two and all of a sudden we saw a lot more peugeots on the road but only because we knew what to look for and didn't just assume that it was <laughs> so an outlander so you saw less outlanders yeah yeah but, <laughs> but for, i think like in terms of what connected they're connected to renault's issues as well and we'll talk about it later but you know maybe this is part of that that alliance where they you know like what you said they're realigning their they're finding you know leveraging the common platforms but you know going for their own markets and 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 not stepping on each other's toes particularly through what is a a particularly tough time where there isn't enough market just to go well we'll sell three of the same product in this in that one area and we'll all be happy because we sell enough volume each um now you are kind of fighting a little bit more aggressively for each sale um even though the car yards would probably tell you differently because a lot of car yards that i drive past are looking pretty bare or you know even used cars yep. i know that in the states used cars are uh, in hot demand at the moment um and so as as you know obviously that will change with um once volume picks up from from factories and we start to get that coming through again um but you know there's you can't sell three three similar vehicles um, or, or three competing vehicles from the same group into that one spot in, of the market anymore because it's just not there. And so I think this is smart. At least they've you know they've this has probably been coming for a little while now because of they know their projections, they know the trends, and they've been working on this. Um, like I, I, I'd find it hard to imagine that they sat down in the last two months and 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 came up with this plan just then. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, this is this is a clever move. This is going to hopefully be the right one because obviously the, the best thing if you if you focus in on a couple of really good models, it still leaves the door open for you to come back and expand your product line again, rather than keeping your product line pretty wide and pretty full and then falling over yourself at the you know down the line because you don't have enough cash to keep any of it going at all um here's my uh my random pointless um prediction (laughs) that i just made up then uh um darcia duster being sold in the (laughs) asian region as a mitsubishi io in what in by which um by which brand Uh, sold on as a Mitsubishi. Okay. But a Darcy Duster. Potentially built under license in, in yeah. the Asian region. So a bit like a Skoda. even sending CKDs. So a bit like the Skoda version. Uh, yeah, so Darcy Duster's a, um, a, a budget compact. But they do like an off roady version as well, don't they? Yeah, but they're actually quite small. They've got small engines, um, but they're. They're cheap and cheerful sort of mm. things, which would which would do well in the Asian region. Um, typically, rough roads, um, difficult to access locations, and um, people require frugal vehicles. Um, it would probably do quite well there. I mean, most of the stuff that Toyota sells in that region are small lifted minivan type cars. Small MPVs are quite popular in that region, so a Dacia Duster would probably look like a, a little bit of a hot rod. <laughs> anyway, I, that's a guess. I, look, I'm intrigued. Uh, like, in, saw the Mitsubishi announcement, you know, through some people that shared some stuff on social in terms of what they're doing in the UK. I kind of get it that maybe that it's not their market, but and then we see the release 
excuse me, from, you know, MMC in terms of what they're talking about for Asian and, and that market. And I kind of get it. I think that it makes sense, like you said before, Mick, that maybe it's not for everyone and it's not for every market and that you don't have to be everywhere. We've seen that with Ford recently saying that they're going to pull out of certain markets and move in to China markets that work better in, in that area and, and others have done the same. So I kind of get it. I'm intrigued to see what Mitsubishi does in Oz. I know they've done well, particularly with Triton and Pajero Sport. Um, yeah. yeah. I've been sitting in the background and I, I'm still undecided which way I'm going to go for, for my next car and Pajero Sport is kind of in one thought but looking in sitting in the member in the owners group for Pajero Sports in Oz there's a massive passion for it um because of the value for money that they offer um you know Outlanders you see a lot of um in in terms of what it is I mean the ASX is a great you know it's done very well in the rental market um and it's a it's a cool little car a friend of mine bought one recently and I couldn't be happy for her to buy something like that for for that sort of marketplace so yeah I'm I'm intrigued that Mitsubishi have decided to kind of kind of focus their, their efforts into that to that market because it makes sense. If you look at it from a geographic point of view, it's effectively up and down in, in from where they're built and their base and whatever else. So it's quite a tight option uh, in terms of ge- ge- geography and, and whatever else. So, yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting move, particularly around sort of FEV um, and EV. Um, look, I'd love to see them do a you know, a FEV or a, or a hybrid version of the Bajero with something that has a bit of an electric power along with petrol. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a negative thing. I think it's an exciting thing moving forward. Yeah, well, you know, think, you know, uh, before we move on, I think it's yeah, fingers crossed that we do see a bit more. We we've seen the success of Toyota in those similar markets of which Mitsubishi operate in with the hybrids. Um, I think the Mitsubishi have the startings of some good hybrid technology. So if they can get that down from an Outlander size down into the smaller vehicles, you know, we might actually see some true competition in that hybrid space in those SUV areas because no one else is really, you know, they either don't see, they haven't realized that there's market opportunity in that space to have a hybrid vehicle or they don't have the technology you know, small enough to, to make it work in those vehicles. And, you know, if if Toyota can't keep up with a RAV4 hybrid and they're, and they're selling Corolla hybrids like crazy and they're, you know, they're coming out with other smaller hybrids as well. Um, yeah, this is the opportunity for, for Mitsubishi to, to hit the reset button on some of these things and to, you know, maybe bring some competition, steal a little bit of market away from Toyota. It doesn't have to be a huge amount for it to be significant for Mitsubishi. Um, and to, you know, yeah, reinvigorate that outside of, you know, adding smart safety features and all that kind of thing. Because I think we've kind of hit the 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 peak for that for now. Um, most cars in the mid to higher spec have those things of all standard. It's all kind of fairly even in that now. So now it's down to what hybrid technology they can bring. And obviously, at least in the Australian market, we're ready for it. We're, you know, people are putting cash up to to buy them. So yeah, it's um 
let people get their half price parking in Brisbane. Ah, uh, but let's uh, let's move on. Let's uh, we'll get back to our um, you know. Let's revisit our bring a trailer picks from uh, last week and see how we went um, with the the sales. Now I think most I think I got the links correct again because um, I know most of us couldn't. You know, we had a really hard time choosing um, our uh, our picks for last week. But um, to jump on, so my uh, my pick last week. Was was the the 1995 BMW 850 CSI six-speed manual. Um, Super rare, um, practically an M8 that was never meant to be. It's got an M-powered engine. Um, This one only has about 56,000 miles. It looks great. And um, at the moment, the bids are still at about 65,000 with, with, I think, about nine hours to go. So yours is running ash. Yeah, so if it's at sixty five thousand at by the end of the auction, I think that's kind of a steal because I've seen um, some of the eight fifty CI, not the CSI vehicles here in Australia, fetch kind of you know not too short of that here for a fairly tidy car, and um, you know this is the CSI, this is a six speed manual, which there are not many of. So yeah, it's uh, whoever's leading that bid, I'm sure they're sweating bullets right now hoping that uh, <laughs> no one jumps in and, and snipes it away from them at this point. <laughs> but uh, how'd you guys go? Yeah, so my LS1 powered 980 International Harvester Scout, which is an absolute mouthful, the awesome yep. little convertible uh, LS1 powered thing, still going. Uh, it's got it's a carrot at $32,500, mm. and it still has just under eight hours to go, which is still a bug in it, thirty two grand. I think that's a steal for that because... Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of, like, forgetting what's actually in there, but just the engineering effort and the attention to detail on this thing is just insane. So I think whoever whoever ends up buying this is yeah gonna end up with a It's one of those things I could it could go for more. Yeah. I've got it as set as a watch mark so I'll update I think next week. But mm-hmm. uh yeah it's uh it's interesting to to see where it's where it's going. So what did you pick this week, Ash? Um, oh, well, how'd you go? Oh, hang on, no, hang on. You guys, you got, yeah, you just, you conveniently wanted to avoid the fact that I picked the most expensive car. Yeah, but uh, what did it go I for, you Mickey? You guys laughing at me last week. It's still got five days to go. Still, so the okay. 1992 Lancia Delta Integrale Martini 5 Evolution, uh, $86,000. Wow. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So obviously other people like ring the necks of uh, old rally cars as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it, it is a fantastic, a fantastic looking car. Eighty six thousand dollars seems like an awful lot to me, but I guess it's the well. There's um, only four hundred the, of them. It's it's got twenty one thousand yep, kilometers. Limited nature. Yeah. I yeah. I mean. <sighs> 
it's great that it's uh, that it's achieving such a, a high level of bids, but that also indicates to me that somebody is going to park this in some air-conditioned room with LED floodlighting and stuff on it, which is a real shame. <laughs> it certainly certainly doesn't align with the plans that I had for it. Well, it's kind of uh, like the, I have eighty-six thousand dollars. So. The rap of the weekend is selling his house in LA, and I, I follow this. It's a bit of a side note, but um, we, we we talk about carpool sort of every week. But I follow a. Um, uh, a house porn effectively account on Facebook called um, Pricey Pads, which is pretty cool, and it's um, it's really nice houses throughout America and different places all throughout the US. But the weekend is trying to sell his place at the moment, and um, all throughout his garage, which has probably I think four to five different spots, it's all that fluoro looking, you know, the, the the mirrored wall, the floor, and all this kind of stuff. So kind of works with that yeah, kind of right. that kind of style. So, so gentlemen, what did we pick for this week? Oh, look, I went far off the deep end. Um, and <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys would have seen this coming. Um, but I picked a car. It's from... Oh, it's not really a car. Um, I picked a vehicle um, that is from 1973. Ooh. It's, it's American. Ooh. Uh, they call it the La France. And it's a 1000 series fire truck. Oh, I did see that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my first question is why? Yeah, it's kind of not what I expected for you this week, Nash. Oh, look, you know, it's it's too easy to, to just pick another Porsche because there's so many good ones on there. Um, but, uh, but there's no know. standouts this week. That was the thing with, with Porsches. There were lots of cool stuff, but there was nothing yeah. that was a standout. No. So I like no. the fire truck pick. Ash, that's cool. Yeah, I don't. I, I think it's just a cool thing. All right, when I when I was over in, um, so this truck is from North Carolina, but when I was in in South Carolina, I actually um, with a group of friends of mine was staying at a, at a at a friend's place there, and um, we were going to visit the Trump Golf Course because there was one not too far away. We thought we can't come all the way to Charlotte and, and not visit the Trump Golf Course. And um, on our way back, there was like this super traditional looking like fire station um, for like, you know, like a fairly rural kind of place. And we thought, oh, we've got to stop in. Like, surely we can ask, you know, if we can have a look at the fire trucks and everything. And like, they were, they were super keen. So we, um, not only did they drive the fire trucks out into the big driveway area and, and let us have a look, we got to um, fire a hose. Um, so they hooked it up to the truck and and let us have a go at you know experiencing the hose they got us um, <laughs> they got all the fire equipment out and and we got to dress up in the in the firefighting like gear um oxygen and everything um and then they took us out the back and we could they did a full demo for us for like if you know they're rolling up to a house fire and showed us all the different sirens and everything and so like I see this and I go sure it's an older truck but I'm like oh man there's <laughs> just, it's just yeah. something cool about that and um, yeah so it's it's such a tidy looking example too like it's not like a uh, you know uh, what do you call it um, uh, surplus kind of lot 
thing you know where it's just like it's an ex-work truck and like this has been meticulously kind of like maintained and looked after um you know it's got forty six thousand miles on it and um you know the, it's got a working pump lights and sirens which i think for anybody buying a big old fire truck that's uh <laughs> those three are a must um it's got ladders like yeah i think it's cool i just think that's it's very cool, cool. And, if I, yeah. and if i had a plus you know if i had a place that was big enough to house it <laughs> I'd, I'd, yeah, wouldn't hesitate. And the best of all, the that current bid is an absolute monster. Yeah, and it ends yeah. in four days, 5, and it's only five thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Not every um, bargain is good value. <laughs> <laughs> so what it's a diesel. It should just go on and on forever, right? What did you pick, yeah, Nicky? Probably will. Oh, look, I. I I got a little bit stuck this week, to be honest. Um, it's a hard choice every went, week, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is, and I nearly went for the um, oh, what was it? The uh, was it an aerial Adam tactical? Oh, I did see that, oh, and I yeah. thought, I thought about that as well. Yeah, I considered it, but I'm pretty sure someone who's six foot six is not going to fit in an aerial Adam. <laughs> probably just, not. Funny. Just, well, hang on. Uh, I think Coxon fits. Well, it's probably it's... close. Yeah, it's I mean, he's no uh, so you've he's got that six going for you. Five, yeah. I mean, most of his height is head, so yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I went for something lazy and cruisy. Nineteen seventy-one Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. Oh, oh, nice. Three-speed auto. Okay. Yeah, it just. I mean, it, it just looks cool, and it's a what is it? A four forty, I think it is. So absolute monster engine. A uh, four fifty-five high output V eight. Rear wheels through, three-speed auto. I, that just says lots of noise and big skids. And when you're not skidding, you can just cruise and look cool. So yeah. I'm all for that. It'll probably fall apart around your ears, but <laughs> it look, it'd look cool in the meantime. Exactly. I, so, <laughs> I, I nearly went for... Um, uh, Auburn 851 rebodied boat tail speedster. Okay. Because nice. my first matchbox vintage, um, vintage car, what are they called? Cars of Yesteryear, mm-hmm. um, which I started my collection with, was a green boat tail. Uh, yeah, it was. It was a speedster. I also had a Studs Bearcat. So I like those old, old style um, big two doors. But I just went for something easy that I could just cruise around with. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Hard picks, though. Yeah, very. What about yeah. you, Joel? Would you, uh, would you settle? Okay, so I'm going to start with three honourable mentions because yeah. I hate this game every week, even though I invented it, because it's so much fun. <laughs> but uh, I, I literally start at the top of the page and scroll down and just literally open a new tab. And it's like at the end of it, I go, right, what do I pick? So my three honorable mentions of this week, and I'm every week I pick stuff and I go, oh, I wonder if Mick's going to pick this? Because there's a couple of things that him and I have a similar feel with, and this is the first one. So 1980 Mercury Grand Marquis Colony Park LS Wagon. So it's a wagon, Nikki. So that's the start. So that was my kind of first pick. And it's because it's a wagon, it's 88. It's a Mercury because it's it's not, it's Ford, but it's not Ford. So that was my sort of first pick. Um, It's at 11.5 grand with eight hours to go. Um, It's in Arizona. I just think of like uh, road trip movies. Oh, look, it's it's the (laughs) non. 
European vacation, non uh, Chevy yeah. Chase American vacation style thing. You know, it's very, very similar. Um, and then I go from there to a 200 mile, so it hasn't done much, 2008 18 Dodge Challenger SRT Demon. Oh, I saw that. But yeah. with carbon fibre body. So uh, it's a 100 expensive. grand. It's a hundred grand with four days to go, um, and it's just kind of like the carbon fibre body got me, and I, I kind of love the demon uh, and that sort of stuff. And then I kind of then jump from sort of sedan to SUV with a twenty seventeen Ford Raptor Hennessy Velociraptor five hundred. So the fact that it's been modified by Hennessy kind of gives me that it's like oh, it's a bit cool. Forty six grand, five days to go. Turbo twin turbo charge 3.5 liter V6, something we don't get here. It's an F 150. So you look at all this, there's lots of American stuff, but then you've got to find something that's eclectic. So my final choice was a 1992 BMW M5 touring wagon. I, I, I had that in the <laughs> ready to go in case nobody. Uh, uh, <laughs> 19 grand with six days to go. It's a 3.8 litre inline six, five speed manual. Uh, you know. 385,000 kilometres. Yeah, you don't care about case. It's kind of. It's an M5 wagon. That's mm. all you need to know. You know, it's, it's pretty right. unique. I was, was going to pick plenty that. Because I know of a half a million kilometre E34 M5. So you've got plenty left before <laughs> um, you've got anything to Oh, I don't want to think about pair bills. It's kind of like I drive it of a weekend and that's it. You know, it sold new in Germany. Oh, I was going to pick that one, but I already got an M5 wagon two weeks ago. So, you know, <laughs> I'll bring a trailer, obviously, not a not a real one. No, no, no. But, but it's, yeah. you know, that, it's unique. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's the, it's the unicorn that a lot of guys talk about. But, you know, bring a trailer is just one of those sites that is just full of this gold stuff. Like I, I flipped through. This week was probably a little bit maybe harder than last week. There was lots of cool stuff, but you want to pick something that... It's kind of like a friend said to me years ago in terms of looking at stuff on Instagram. You want to stop from scrolling. It's something that you'd scroll, 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 and then you go, oh, hang on, that's cool. And there's lots of cool stuff on there, but something like this M5 wagon is just kind of that scroll stopper, um, you know, in something that's that's cool. And so, yeah, that kind of that kind of got me. So uh, I'm marking that to watch to see what it goes for in the next week. Yeah. No, good choice. Oh, well, I just we'll saw see, that. Uh... Um, I just saw that marquee that you were talking about. Yep, the grand marquee. This Mercury stuff yeah, is cool. Uh, Mercury. There was one, some another another group that I belong to. Uh, um, that I chat with re- religiously, who is a bunch of American journalists. We talk about stuff all the time. They shared a Mercury coupe during the week, which is effectively is a Mustang Fox body, but as as a Mercury uh, badging. Um, and it's it's quite interesting that the, even though it's a Mercury, it's still getting low money compared to what a Fox would in terms of foot. So yeah, it's I think they're underrated for what they yeah, right. uh, to what they are. There you go. There's yeah. Joel's I reckon with these... on uh, the Mercury market. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found because um, obviously being a wagon a wagon fan, I do talk to a few uh, US uh, wagon owners, and these wagons are all body on frame stuff. So we're talking about um, 
an extra 500 kilos of weight for the equivalent, like a Commodore wagon or something like that, that I used to have the old VPs um, was sort of like 1,500 kilos. These yeah. things here, they're weighing in over two ton. Yeah. Yeah. And still getting like 150 kilowatts out of a five litre V8. It's just like, what is going on? And, you know, inefficient, but they're all about the same thing. It's, it's and we, I know we talked about this previously, previously too, is that American stuff is built to go in a straight line. Yeah. And that's what they're good at. Yeah, it's not designed for cruising, corners. So, yes. Well, you, no, you, you just thank have God, to look at you try American and put them car design in the 50s and 60s versus European car design. Like I, I saw not too long ago, I watched a video of um, of the uh, the very first. Uh, Formula One race in 1950 and all I could think of was what the cars were coming out of America in the 1950s versus the Formula One cars for example in Europe and I had to sort of think again and remind myself that what America was doing and what Europe was doing at the same time were two very different things um, it almost oh, yeah, looks like sure. you, you know you're looking at two alternative um, realities you know timelines of car design and somehow yep. we've met in the middle with globalization but it's just so amazing to, to think of um, just where those two sort of yeah two different dominant markets in their space um you know well, they're we're all heading. about um it was interesting too because the american stuff in the 50s and 60s i've been watching a few videos from um charles phoenix uh who's a big americana nut and he loves those big winged um you know sort of space age styled um classic land yachts and yeah. things like that but when he goes into it and you have a look and you have a look at the detail that the Americans used to put on those cars, like just Mm -hmm. little continuous running design themes and little Easter eggs and stuff everywhere and a little bit of extra chrome here that didn't necessarily need to be there, but it just made the design look better. It was was really the strong suit of their... um, you know, of, of that design era, the 50s and 60s, you know, obviously is the background of the, the rocker movement and things like that, which have, you know, transcended the um, the US border and gone all over the world. There's, you know, you can go to um, rockers um, weekends and stuff just about anywhere in the world and they'll all have the same thing, you know, 57 Chevy Bel Airs and stuff like that because yeah. they just got that... Um, that emotional connection with cars mm. just right. And it wasn't, had nothing to do with them being, you know, cars that handled well or um, were amazing performance cars. They just had that emotional connection because they looked good and made people feel good when they looked at them. So um, it'd be good if they did that again. I guess they're, they're kind of doing that now. A lot of their, um, a lot of the interest we get in the US market is when they come up with something that is emotional. And a lot of that has been retro type stuff now as well. Like you look at the Bronco coming out and that previous iteration we talked about last week where they had the the phase where they were going through all those um, retro designs. So I know, Joel, you're a big fan of the Prowler. Um, the PT Cruiser oh, sold yeah. like absolute wildfire despite being an absolute piece of yeah. garbage. Mm. It's, I mean, it's not it's I not love garbage, that, no, that 90s cool this, is, this, is the perfect, this is the perfect segue to our next bits of news when we, you know, when we talk international. 
so firstly gm have teased um more of their electric hummer um which is going to fit under the gmc brand so it's gonna it's not going to be a brand it's going to be a vehicle and um they're teasing sort of like kind of like what we've known of hummer in the past like the h2 is the um the the one with sort of like the the utility cut out at the back and the other one just being the 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 full-on suv um but obviously being all electric this time which i think you know from a from a marketing perspective and a product person you couldn't think of a better vehicle to to show transformation and to show the future than a vehicle that is so being plagued with um you know there's jokes in movies about how many miles to a gallon do you get out of a hummer and to i think so i think it's a stroke of genius if they get the design right i think it's a a stroke of genius to pick the hummer as your champion suv that's all electric oh yeah who's going to be the champion of that champion it's got to be around about yeah, Arnie oh, is going to be it, it all would, over that. It would make perfect sense. Like he was the first one to to drive a, a hydrogen powered Hummer when they started r- rolling out hydrogen fueling stations. Um, he so it would be it would make perfect sense. Um, and uh, yeah, so GMC they've started promoting it on Twitter and they've released a couple of, like really kind of like teaser silhouette um, things online it kind of from from what they've shown it it almost looks like a little bit like an fj cruiser that side profile um but it also still looks like a hammer yeah yeah absolutely um with the with a spare wheel on the back they've shown a little bit of the alloy design which i kind of like a lot it's um a lot of square shapes a lot of things which fits very much into that hummer brand um but they are saying so um the gmc hummer ev reveal um is coming soon and uh pre-order pre-order pre sorry pre-orders are coming in the fall of 2020 so um basically in the next few months expect uh that we will see um some more information so yeah i think man i'm, I'm confused what a time i'm uh, it's it's a great it's a great idea. Um, I'm a big fan of the Rivian um, brand as well that have been promoting their oh, they're electric amazing. trucks for a while. They're getting close to release as well. Yep. Um, it's great that these things are happening, but I'm yeah. wondering, Hummer. Well, oh, hang you on. Know, okay, like you so- say, there is already that. There's already that alignment with the brand and yeah. the kinds of people that would own a Hummer. Mm. So, so I just stumbled across those... a little one of the videos, and and l- let me give you a bit of spec so it yep. might shape what you're about to, to do. So they're using LeBron in this teaser video right now. And who now <laughs> the next thing they're saying is a thousand horsepower. The next bit which they show yep. is 11,500 11, pound feet of torque and a zero to hundred in three seconds with an open air infinity roof. Um, so, damn. Yeah, but you can't, you can't roll coal on a Prius. No. Which is pretty much what Hummer drivers and truck drivers used to do. What I'm, what I'm thinking though is like a, a lot of the people that stereotypically have owned Hummers previously are mm. not necessarily the same people that are aligned with the, um, um, with the global movement to reduce CO2 emissions. You know what I yeah. mean? So... A lot of them are potentially 
um, going to be diametrically opposed to the idea of an electric yeah. truck and they will be the traditional people who will stamp their feet and be stubborn and not move on anyway and always say that this is not a real Hummer. Mm. So they are touting it. They're calling it the world's first super truck. Obviously, with the performance figures they're stating, it's kind of a bit of a shot across the bow as well to Tesla and their Cybertruck. Um, so they're revealing. So they did. So they're going to be doing a reveal in fall 2020, and then fall 2021 is when the um, the production is going to start. And I think. Obviously, Ford and GM have been working at these pretty much at the same time, and I'm sure you know, been work. You know, if they're both in the industry, they they probably have a rough idea what both of them have been working on and what they've been doing. Um, yeah. But in in the video, it goes into a little bit more depth as well. So there's going to be a kind of like the the, the Bronco. There's going to be a whole heap of modularity. It's going to have crab mode. Um, it's going to have an Altium uh, battery, super fast charging, and so I think um, I think it's kind of yeah. It's watching this video again. I think it's kind of interesting where I think um, this is the point where I think uh, Tesla are going to come a little bit unstuck with um, the the advantages which traditional Everybody car makers have. Up. Yeah, which yeah. I've been making, you know, GM and, and, and Ford have been making cars for, you know, was it almost like 100 years now? And so they know how to build a production line and get a car out the door. They do that well. Um, people will go, you know, maybe oh, you, you shouldn't finish. You and, wait but, the next three years. GM, their their lineup for electric cars that they've got coming. Oh, it's is absolutely massive. Yeah. And they've it been doing huge. it for a long time. They've had that, you know, it started off with the, you know, in recent times with the Volt EV. They've got the Bolt as well, the super compact compact electric vehicle. Um, so they've they've been working on this tech for a long time as well, and, and people haven't really been giving GM credit for it. Um, no. And you know, a lot of people complaining about yeah, the bailouts and all that kind of thing you go yep that that's you know it's not great but at least it it looks like on the surface and as a as someone who isn't american that i i see this hummer reveal and i go i think they've been doing a pretty good job in proving that they know exactly what they're doing and maybe the pullback out of you know foreign markets is allowing them to focus on building good products for their for their market and the byproduct is that <laughs> it kind of makes me want one it's kind of like the Bronco we're not going to see it here yep. we might yeah. possibly we might get lucky we may depending on what happens but, with GM SV you know, at, the, at the moment I think Australia's going through a bit of a, a, a truck phase a US truck phase we love US trucks we're seeing in, you know crazy really impressive sale numbers of um, US trucks here and if if Jam are uh, able to to build this and deliver it and go, you can go off roading. You can go on a what they call like super cruise um, on the highway. If it has all the 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 leading edge electric vehicle technology, not only do you blow it out of the water for Tesla because they you know they presented a vehicle which is po- like more than polarizing, like it's just. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people are just left scratching their heads going, what am I looking at? And then being delivered a product that isn't going to look anything like it because there's no way you're going to meet any sort of safety standards with that vehicle design. Um, And then all of a sudden, 
you know, and, and they have the trouble of delivering on, on deadlines. So they, they haven't really met any timeline that they've announced in the past for other vehicles. And throughout all that time, GM, Ford, uh, Hyundai even, you know, they've all been working quietly and, and slowly putting vehicles out to the market. And all of a sudden they're reaching a point where uh, they've, they've got the Halo models, like what GM's going to have in this Hummer, and they've got the tech and they've got everything that they've, they've been doing well for 80 to 100 years um, all coming yep. together and, and going, well, this is this was the threat to Tesla was, you know, it was great to get everybody thinking about electric vehicles. Like that, we, 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 we really needed that. Um, and yep. Tesla still served up on Tesla, though, moment, they, but they, you know, they, they provided that. Uh, attraction to the early adopters, yeah, um, absolutely, and and they got tech and it was people right interested. at the top end of the market, but yeah. they only got people interested. Like they got a lot of people interested, but only a small portion of those interested parties actually had an access point to that market yeah. to be able to give Tesla money for that for mm-hmm. that hype. Whereas, like you're saying, GM, you know, they've got a, they're going to have a whole range of electric vehicles. People will go there to look at the Hummer and maybe come away with a EV Trailblazer or something. But yeah. you know, the the strategy for introduction and the ability to get people to you know, or get dealers to leverage off the foot traffic to sell something else yeah. is going to yeah. be a lot more solid mm-hmm. for, for GM and Ford. Well, we see that with Hyundai, right? They they did that where they have the Kona and then they introduced an electric drivetrain for the Kona to call it the Kona EV. So all of a sudden, yep. you've just expanded the range and you've injected another EV into your product line rather than what Tesla have to do. If they want to expand a market or update something, they have to essentially um, go through the whole effort of reintroducing a, a new model to the market and educating the market about it rather than you know the years of advertising they've done for the Kona can automatically yep. when you walk in you get that instant brand recognition and and you can't underestimate the the I don't I guess you call it like the celebrity power that that Tesla has you know it's kind of like Apple when they release a product but the difference yep. is, is unlike an Apple product you know where it's a couple thousand dollars you're talking like a sixty to a two hundred thousand dollar buying decision. And when you start asking people to, to part with that money where they really have to think about, um, you know, the financial impact of that, um, I think a lot of people... It's a challenge. Yeah, yeah you, you've got a lot more obstacles to, to overcome to, to win that. And with brands like Ant, and sure, we don't have GM here anymore. Um, forgetting GMSV, I think that's, you know, that still is yet to be determined. But in terms of what GM are doing, I think it, it's, it's the realisation of the very real threat that car makers have um, to Tesla. And hopefully, you know, hopefully this spurs on even greater competition from from Tesla and other car makers because you know we're, everyone's catching up and now it's you know it's a race to get that price down even further now because we've got the the level field on the tech yeah, I'm super excited nicely too to the to the Hyundai component that we're about to talk about with the hydrogen and yeah. their move so Hyundai moving now to try and get more EVs out the door mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, essentially for that for that same reason you know they've got a you know they've seen the success of the uh, of the Tesla product and in particular Model 3s have certainly become a lot more um, 
accessible. You know, they've given a price point where a lot more people can now be part of the um, the Tesla Tesla radio. I don't want to. I don't. I don't really want to say that because I don't want to associate all Tesla buyers no. with the um, raving crackpots that are on Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's fans and then there's maniacal fanatics. Um, yeah. Um, you know the. I, I think I found it funny reading this Reuters article um, because it, it came up in uh, one of my feeds about Hyundai moving away from hydrogen mm. um, to focus more on EV stuff. And I, once you actually read into the article, it doesn't state that at all. It just states the fact that Hyundai have seen the success of the more accessible um, EVs in the Model 3s from the Tesla yeah, yeah. space, and they're pushing to have more EV capability within their lineup, which is... Mm. Um, you know, it doesn't just say um, big things about the fact that Hyundai are watching their competitors, but the fact that they have the agility to be able to react to that increase in um, in attention to EVs and move yeah. on it. Hmm. So, um, like like you're saying, when we're talking about the major manufacturers with GM and Ford, and as you said, with Hyundai as well, obviously they've been trying to future-proof all their new platforms to enable them to move to that mm-hmm. EV component. Yeah. And again, like you were saying, or as we were discussing earlier anyway, um, the fact of the matter is that hydrogen-powered cars are essentially an EV and instead of having a battery sitting in the back, they've got a, a tank of hydrogen that they use through um, a electrolysis power plant, which creates electricity. So mm-hmm. essentially, it's mm-hmm. the same sort of thing. It's yeah. it's just a different type of um, power storage. So well, you go from one method that um, generates electricity, then transfers it into a battery pack, which can take time, and you have higher levels of dead dead degradation over time so your battery yep. loses efficiency as you know part of the battery dies permanently as you know the material degrades and so you know after 10 years or you know even longer we are seeing batteries getting a lot longer life than car- even car makers thought toyota is a great example of that um but eventually yep. those batteries will need replacing where hydrogen um it takes no longer than it does to to fill your car up with a full tank of petrol um and because it is you're filling a a tank um you don't really get the same level of um you know battery degradation to storage capability so your car can be 20 years old and still have the same um efficiency advantage from the electric vehicle but you're not needing to factor in you know your car might it's kind of like your phone you go from being able to use it for two days and then you know eight months in you're only really getting a day and a half out of it two years later you know you, you're getting you know barely a day out of it um or even less depending on what phone you use but um you know so, so there's certainly some advantages and all of the work that's going into um these electric vehicles is directly transferable into the hydrogen vehicles it's just really the means of um the different the different challenges and the you know the points of electric charging versus hydrogen because there's different motives um, in getting those technologies out there. Like right now, there isn't a lot of um, commercial motive to develop a charging network because it costs money to to lay in the access to the the high voltage power to allow you to charge it, you know, 200 watts or 300 watts um, to make charging 
a lot faster. Um, you can't really reuse that. So you can't drive your truck up to it and recharge your truck at the same thing. You need, like even with the Tesla Semi, they're going to need another set of charging um, infrastructure for that, which they have to expand and, and adapt that. And so you've got that and, and limited, so yeah, so limited commercial incentive where if you look at the hydrogen side, well, all of a sudden the, the incentives change um, because the uses for hydrogen and the hydrogen capturing method and, and the way it's distributed, all of a sudden there's, there's a lot of advantages for the commercial and enterprise to use and not just the personal mobility upshot from that so really it then turns into that hydrogen refueling is a byproduct of commercial hydrogen use versus kind of forcing it the other way where which you know it's expensive and and takes a lot of incentive from government to make it that way um but you even have to just look at the the hydrogen plan that australia you know in the australian energy group and um and the government has put together and, and, and they pretty much address those sorts of things and going, hey, look, um, hydrogen is the, the most... Um, you know, it's 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 the element that is basically it's found everywhere, and so the advantages is that if we can create safe methods and, and efficient methods to capture it, whether it's leveraging solar or or other energy methods to 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 allow that to happen, um, not only can we capture it and, and use it here for for machinery and for trucks and all that kind of thing, but we can also ship it to to other parts of the world. And so when you try and get companies interested, they're going to go, oh, okay, cool. Let, that's, there's a lot of ways that we can make money out of that rather than going, hey, look, please install a car charger at a, at a petrol station or shopping center where Shell, you know, BP, any of, the, any of the petrol stations, all of a sudden, if they're producing and capturing hydrogen somewhere, whacking in or converting a, let's say, a gas um, uh, fuel filler at a petrol station, it's a lot easier to convert that storage and um, and fuel filling facility to a hydrogen one rather than it is to to try and convince them to take up half your car park and, and make it a fast charging space. But yeah, so yeah, and even that, even that uh, even that fast charging space though, the equivalent time for refilling what is the equivalent of a half a tank of petrol or hydrogen or whatever um is an a, you know a tiny tiny sliver of what it takes to recharge a battery to that same level of power density it's it's ridiculous the the opportunity to earn money as a refueling station as an ev oh, that, refueling abso- station is yeah. tiny yeah and and so yes. think of it for for taxis and um you know, ride sharing or whatever um buses the, the amount if if you also look at from a downtime point of view, um, obviously refueling and getting back out on the road and, and picking up four extra customers that you might not have been able to do if you're stuck charging. Um, you know, yeah, it, it it starts to make a lot more sense that um, perhaps hydrogen yep. is you know is makes more sense um, and. The thing is, is that most of the major automakers have been thinking about hydrogen for a very long time. Um, And we really saw 
there's there's a great website. It's it's really old, um, but they've basically kept a list of all of the hydrogen concept cars that that makers have come out with. Um, and it's super extensive. Like you're not you just need talking to share about that like link, Ash. That's interesting. I'd be keen to look at that and reflect of where things have gone over the, yeah. that period of time because it's a, it's an interesting history in terms of where stuff has started to where it is as we yeah. sit. Yeah, because you're talking like uh, BMW, for example, had a you know they claimed the the title of the first production car for sale um, for hydrogen way back in I think it was 2005 in the in the seven series. Now they only built a hundred and leased them to to celebrities and and that kind of thing. Um, but for them, they built that as a, as a, a hydrogen hybrid, which had the the seven sixty Li like V twelve up front and a hydrogen tank in the back. But they really wanted to show from that point of view before we shifted to hydrogen electric vehicles, so HEVs, um, and. And so back then, they were more thinking along combustion hybrid type vehicles. And so you could switch between petrol and hydrogen by simply flicking a button. And you didn't have to stop. You didn't have to turn the vehicle off. It was just as you're driving, you could flick a button and you go from one fuel type to the other. And the only difference really was, I think it was about 100 horsepower they lost in in um, in power by going from petrol to, to hydrogen. Um, but you got to think back, like, that's pretty amazing for, for back then to to have a hybrid system work like that as seamless as it was. Um, But everyone, Audi, Nissan, um, just like the list is exhaustive of uh, European, Japanese and American brands building and thinking about hydrogen all the way through the 90s, 80s even. Um, I think the the first hydrogen powered uh, type vehicles with four wheels and that kind of thing were the late 1800s. So it's um it's it's not a new idea, and um, it's been in the back of uh, pretty much every major car maker's mind for for a very long time. Of like this is the 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 ultimate end goal because the only the only byproduct is water, um, and if we can capture it easily enough in in you know where we can use things like wind or solar or something like that you know basically it turns into a completely renewable energy creation source where you know everyone wins at that point But, um, but look, I, I do just want to mention quickly um, on something that isn't hybrid, isn't electric, isn't hydrogen, um, is the Ford Bronco. Um, they did... Uh, Mike uh, Levine, um, he works... Uh, he's, the, he's the Vice President of Communications. Oh, sorry, Mark Truby, sorry. Um, he's the Vice President of Communications at Ford. And, um, yeah, he tweeted... Uh, about 12 hours ago that they've reached 150,000 orders um, and counting for the new Bronco. Um, and, uh, yeah, so now they're working on increasing production to, to meet the demand. So it's, uh, that's uh, pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, um, it's, well, it's... And that's America only. Mm. It's pretty amazing what they've achieved and what they've sold already into yeah. what has done and just it just shows how much belief that the Americans have in the Ford 
brand and, and compared to, you know, Jeep has, has ruled that market for a long period of time, but for yeah. Ford to turn around and just do so well, it just goes, well, what, you know, what has been missing for them to then turn around and just outsell the Bronco just like that? Yeah. No, absolutely. It's, uh, I think it's, they've nailed it. I think it, you know, I, I tweeted a little while ago about, yeah, how exciting, you know, we've had a, a fairly substantial Jeep upgrade, the the Suzuki Jimny, the Ford Bronco, um, the Hummer, the, the Defender, and it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's a really exciting time for off-road four-wheel drives um, at the moment with uh, this retro, modern, you know, Kind of feel to it i think uh yeah it's a, it's a great time um and uh good timing as well for it but let's um let's move on to another one which is kind of uh i think we all saw this coming um if you've been paying attention to the to the you know the renault uh nissan alliance um but renault themselves have uh announced that they had a 12.2 billion um that's in aussie dollars by the way uh loss for just the first half of uh 2020 um and sort of the the article that we've got in front here um touches on that yeah it it's not just uh, issues with uh, with Renault, but also part of it is um, because of that alliance, they wear you know a bit of the the uh, the struggles that Nissan have been going through as well. So um, yeah, so Nissan was responsible for about seven point nine billion dollars of that twelve point two billion uh, loss, and um, you know so yeah they that are operating loss of about two billion for if you just look at Renault. Um, themselves so yeah it's um it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tough thing Renault did seek a bit of a cash um injection um from the from the French government of about 8.2 billion and that was a loan facility so it wasn't just a a bailout per se but it is a it was a loan um backed by the French government so it allows that that cash to flow through and obviously to to stay alive whilst uh COVID is going on um but yeah so i think it's a for me it's it's a little bit of a shame because i'm really enjoying uh the renault because i've driven recently and um I'd, I'd hate to see any of the uh any any drastic changes or step backs um in their lineup or anything as a result of this yeah but i think what they're doing is they're fine-tuning the market and it's like mm. everyone else has in oz they're they're reducing the sedan market or the small hatch market like the Zoe Electric is going which is sad but it is kind of a little bit overpriced um, yeah. it's it's a shame that the Kajar is going in terms of what they're seeing it obviously hasn't sold well in the market but obviously the um, Arcana, which is a very much more a, a Clio uh, Magan looking um, SUV, is coming. So it's I, th- weird I think that, that makes a lot more sense from that point. Yeah, I think yeah. And if you look at it in, in terms of what they're they're doing, is that Renault are re- literally 
doing like Ford have done and and uh, effectively Mitsubishi probably as well. Yeah, and Mitsubishi as well is really rejigging their market to where the sales are, um, yeah. and we know that SUV is the stronger part of the market, so they're moving away from Clio and Zoe and things like that. Um, the Megane Sport and stuff like that is is still staying, which is great because it's a great product. It sell it sells well for what it is, but the SUV market is where it is. So obviously, Kajar has not sold well. So yeah. we'll we'll scratch that and we'll moved to something like the Akana, um, the Colios. Um, they're also talking more a larger series um, SUV, bigger than the Colios, which I'm excited about because I like those larger SUVs. Um, they're also talking the Alaskan Ute, which is based on effectively a Navara and that style of things. So um, mm. they're also talking about rejigging the the Alpine the Alpine Law, um, brand as well. So look, you know, it's not all... It's not all negative, you know. Sure, the the smaller stuff is disappearing, but the stuff that sells well for Renault, like the Colios, is a great product. Um, a friend of mine just bought uh, a new Colios. They looked at a whole variety of stuff and they picked on that. So I, I'm I'm impressed to see that they're doing well. I love my time in the Colios, and I'm still very you know considered to look at to look at one as a as an alternative but now that they're talking that they're going to talk maybe something slightly bigger my eyes literally lit up when i read that uh, i'm really excited to see what they do the alaskan unit i'm very very keen to see what they do there and what that's like um yeah obviously the trade-off with mercedes never worked well with their x-class but i'm intrigued to see what renault would do if they did the same thing obviously part of that same alliance and also they're in the same alliance with Mitsubishi so yeah it's it's interesting to see that you know that these brands are refocusing their position in Australia we've seen Honda do it we've seen Ford do it you know they're, they're, they're trying to find the part of the market that is stronger um, I think I mentioned on the show a few weeks ago I was driving back home and I drove past a local school and literally every car in line pick up kids was an SUV um, so Australia loves the SUV um, whether it be just something that's a slightly bigger and, and it, it's effectively the wagon of today so you know if you Reno's, take that back huh you take that back. Well, look, it, it, it is the, the lifted wagon, Mickey. We, we are, as wagon fans, we are seeing less and less of our traditional wagon loves um, out in the market, but the SUVs are becoming more of that. So, look, I think good on Renault for, for taking the step and, and jumping ahead and saying, look, you know, sedans and whatever else don't work for us. We're going to work in the SUV market. Um, I'm excited to see what they do lying ahead. Yeah, I think they've um, they they've already employed the strategy of trying to um, rationalise their lineup. So once they started the Mitsubishi alliance with the um, Renault and Nissan, they're already starting to make movement in that area. So they were already on that path. And I guess um, although their um, the group sales were down thirty four point nine percent. In comparison to other global sales, drops for uh, 28.3%. So um, it is a little bit larger than what the rest of the global market is is, is experiencing, but everybody is having a downtime at the moment. So um, if when it's taken in context with the rest of the market, everybody's having a bad time. So it doesn't look quite so bad that they're, that they're having a bad time as well because, you know, they're in good company. Um, 
but but the good thing is that they were already starting to make movement in that area by trying to improve like i was saying trying to rationalize those brands so you know it's it, I, I know in this article they're saying uh luca de Mayo was already saying that they're he's expecting that they're at the bottom of the trough and they should be heading up afterwards and you kind of expect the ceo to say that anyway hmm. um but I, I i think there is some um you know some credit in that because they've already realized the problems that they had i i don't think it looks so bad it's like you say there's a few positives that are that are in there and and this is a negative but it doesn't stand out as a as a super negative because everybody's negative at the moment so yeah there's a lot of opportunity there um and it will be interesting to, to see what sort of things they 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 bring out of it um but you know Mitsubishi, exactly the same story, wasn't it? Um, Three-year plans, mm. more beautiful. Mm. It's, just, it's just rationalization. It was something that was yeah. always going to have to happen anyway. So, mm. yeah. And in terms of rational, I think this is a, a good segue. Um, Acura taking uh, taking their fleet to Pikes Peak for uh, <laughs> to push it to the uh, to the limit. It seems. Joel, do you, you know any more about this one? Yeah, I'm excited. So. I follow a couple of journalists. There's a, a chat group I belong to in the US that uh, yeah. is a bunch of American journalists. And Acura is quite interesting over there in terms of what they've been doing. And the guys have been and talking... if you're not aware, Acura is part of like the Honda... Um, it's Lexus, Toyota, Toyota yeah. a Acura versus Honda yeah. in the US. So yeah. for them, we got the Honda NSXLs and they got the Acura NSX. So... Um, yeah. So the TX has been coming for a while. They've been talking about it. Um, we have obviously the um, Civic Type R, and they have the TLX Type S. Um, so it's pretty interesting. You, the the video that was kind of shared. It's a cool looking car. Yeah, yeah. it's a three liter V six turbo um, with three hundred and fifty four pounds of torque, which is pretty mm. impressive. So to launch the TLX. Um, Acura slash Honda are taking it to Pikes Peak and they've been involved with Pikes Peak for a while which if you're not aware if you're not aware of Pikes Peak then what rock have you been hiding under as an automotive enthusiast because it's one of the most amazing hill climbs in the world it's called Race to the Clouds it's been it's been delayed this year it's been being held in August as opposed to more sort of June July time of year but Honda slash Acura are very involved they've run all kinds of stuff in the year in the years previously but this year they're going to run a variety of stuff so they're going to run an SX in the Time Attack series um, which they've run previously fourth in class they're going to run a pace car with the 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 new TLX Type S prototype um, as a pace car then they're also going to run a TLX 2 litre turbo in the exhibition class um, with two different drivers so um, yeah it's interesting it's a a rather large sedan so if you imagine a Civic but obviously bigger um, with a 355 odd horsepower uh, V6 engine Um, so yeah it's it's certainly an interesting thing to see uh, and what they're going to do with it. Um, they've run an NSX the last couple of years at 
Pikes Peak. So it's cool for them to then launch the the TLX. Um, Acura is interesting market in the US. They run a series of utes and different SUVs that obviously we don't get in Australia. Uh, so I'm intrigued to see. I don't think we will get TLXs in Oz uh, because no. it's effectively an American only market, but it's a good looking thing. Uh, I, I like the design of it. The video that um, I think I shall have to share it in the show notes. Um, for, because it is a good sounding engine mm. uh, for for what for what it, what it is. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sold on the wing they've got on for obviously for the Pike Peak Pikes Peak uh, spec, but yeah, look, I think it's um I, I think it shows that yeah the American market is completely different to, to what we're used to here. Um, that yes, we have you know a lot of brands and we're a very competitive market, but um you know the this is what a 300 million market you know 300 million people market kind of looks like that you know it allows brands to to do things like this and to introduce cars like that um which you know we're definitely uh you know we're not really racing out to buy anymore even with uh you know genesis and the kia stinger and and all that kind of thing so yeah at least i'm you know part of me is always like well at least there's somewhere that these can can live on and can exist um but yeah, look, I think Pikes Peak is always a, a good show, and um, yeah, it's uh, looking forward to seeing the footage that that it comes out of that. Um, but without making too bad of a pun, I'm going to say no way um, could they have done this that quickly for it to be more than a, a I don't know, a coincidence or just a, a really tough, you know, really good job at looking at spy photos. But um, there's a there's a brand in 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 China um, that's called Wei, I believe, uh, and um, it was revealed at the Chengdu Motor Show. And um, they call it the Tank 300. And um, it's based on Great Mall Motors' new tank platform by the name. Um, and, uh, yeah, it basically in photos, to me anyway, it looks like a hybrid of um, the the Bronco, of course, but oh, also a little like bit, a little shape. bit, a little bit, yeah, a little bit of a Jeep Wrangler as well if you look at the... The, the windscreen and the door frames and that kind of thing. It actually doesn't look too bad in the orange. Um, I think it, yeah, it, it looks all right. Obviously, it's um, a few people have their nose out of uh, out of place about the design. But what I do find interesting is that it, they've got Cooper tires on there. If yeah. I read it correctly, it's it's not the best angle, but um, no. yeah, it's- it looks like Cooper tires on it. Which it's, is, inter- uh, it's interesting layout in terms of design and everything else. Yeah, yeah. It, it does, in some parts, it does look a little bit messy, but look, I'd kind of go if it's cheap enough and you want to go off-road, maybe <laughs> maybe it's a good option. You don't have to worry about it I reckon it. I reckon it's got a bit of a larder vibe about it. Yeah, you reckon? The front end. No, I mm. see. In that front nose, do you mean? Like that grill area? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can see that too. It's, um, it's like yeah. they stole the elongated, like... Daytime running lights and just stuck it over the like a, a, a retro modern lighter nose, um, but left the big fat bumpers off the uh, off the Jeep on there. <laughs> <laughs> 
but you know look this is this is the thing like it, it's it's not a, a fully I would say a ripped off design of the Bronco I, I would say it's more you know it's inspired by a handful of different cars um but look, we'll, we'll probably never see it here in Australia. Probably won't even see it in America. This will be a China-only car. Um, but, you know, so at least some designers are having good fun and, and able to flex their design muscles and interpretation muscles in that way. And I think, uh, you know, maybe we don't give their designers enough credit of being able to pull something like this out of the bag, you know, the way they did. Out of someone else's bag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, did I say that out loud? Whoops. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that designing a car, you know, it doesn't really excuse, you know, the, the blatant rip-offs of car design we've seen in the past. But, you know... It, it's not easy building a car, um, particularly one that functions, you know. Yeah, so, and worse. Um, just ask Apple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Dyson. <laughs> they Dyson, just, they just know, gave Dyson up. Dyson spent $45 yep. billion dollars and said, nah, well, this isn't the business for us. So, Too hard. You know, you got to go, like, kudos to to them at the same time. Now, I'm sure there's a few undesirable things in there. Um, we know that, uh, what was it, uh, Great Wall for a little while got busted for um, using asbestos in their brakes still in some models for a little bit here, and they yep. had to do a recall. And so I'm sure there's corners being cut. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting anyway. Like, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be buying one of these, but I like the color. Um and yeah, at, yeah, outside of that, you go, yep, someone will buy that. Good on them. Uh, Someone's making a thing. Yeah. I, I think it looks a bit more, um, it looks trucky and a bit more utilitarian than a lot of stuff that's coming out from the, the SUV space. And I, I just think it's um, important to see them making those types of cars yeah um rather than sticking with what they've already been selling previously because i mean china is a big country i mean i know their super cities are massively densely packed and it's a big market drive for hours to get out of like Chengdu or something like that but it's um you know they've got a lot of lot of terrain and things to play with as well. So I'm sure there's um, plenty of recreational four by four activity in the country. So it's it's good yeah. to see them getting those sorts of things out there. Yeah. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think that's I think that's all it is. Um, yeah. It's a nice thing to look at. Plus they got the the tank platform that just sounds yeah, cool yeah. and the Haval they're, they're, big they're dog getting, they're, getting, they're getting better at their marketing that's for sure they're, they're certainly um, I think the maybe, maybe they're bringing in a few western people to um, to help pick out those names we know that yeah in the past some of the translations haven't been um, that great I still see it sometimes when reading brochures that clearly have been um, you know just whack through it like a google translate Thing and, and no one sees a glaring error yep. so and you know look i make that many errors when i'm translating something back the other way so i'm not saying it's just a, a problem for one set of people it's like you know, everyone makes that mistake but i think you know maybe you know, they're, they're getting better they're improving um and we've seen that here even with with ldv and a number of different um chinese brands that they're, they're 
they're getting better at making cars and a product that you know isn't a, what I think a few other people sort of t- treat it as a complete joke. So, you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing Chinese brands kind of like in the same way that we see, you know, Hyundai now um, at some point in the future because they kind of went through a similar um, journey too. Yep, they'll get there. Yeah. Uh, But look, this isn't a a problem that many people face, but, you know, I'm sure there's a few, you know, particularly here in Australia anyway, of of buying practically... no more, you know, vehicles that most people wouldn't think twice about of in a field. Um, but, you know, as we know, one man's trash is another one's treasure. And um, David Tracy from um, from Jalopnik uh, has bought seven cars for about, you know, about 2000 bucks US. And um, the HOA, so the Homeowners Association, um is obviously not happy with the collection of cars on the, on the on the on the front lawn, and I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't be happy about the same um, around in my suburb. I don't know about you guys. Um, not these cars. No, <laughs> no, no. It's actually David Tracy has actually been asked to give his oh, opinion okay. right. on this. Yep, yep, yep. So David Tracy has bought his own series of mainly Jeep products over mm. the years and uh, has written about it on Chlodopnik, Um and has talked about it a fair bit in terms of what he has done in terms of what he's bought and he had the same problem he had his HOA say that you need to shift your cars you can't have so many so (laughs) he has been writing about it so he had a um, fellow fan write in and say help me I have a series of cars that the HOA have told me I need to reduce my fleet by Um, and he wrote this story uh, as a result yeah, so I'm gonna I'll run through the list, and so what I want to do, let's run it through it quickly, then we can get onto some of the motorsport news, and uh, and then check out uh, the second practice session of uh, the the British Grand Prix. So it starts off with um, a three hundred dollar nineteen ninety three Dodge Stealth. Um, it's in check blue. It um, Sorry, that's my early response. <laughs> so maybe we can do that. So we'll look at this. So the good, cold AC, it's a five-speed manual. They're getting more rare by the week, depending on you know, how much you value these and the low purchase price. The bad thing is already invested $1,500. Parts are getting harder to find, limited aftermarket support. It's got 214,000 miles, and it's not really worth much. Keep it or throw it. Wreck uh, it. Yeah. I don't think there's Reckon very much parts, redeeming for it. Yeah. yeah, you could probably part it out and help some of those other yep. people that are probably starving for parts. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next one, a little bit more uh, interesting, is a 2002 Jaguar XK8. It's a convertible in in what looks like a British racing racing green. It's bought for two hundred and ninety dollars. Um, the good it's a jag um oh yeah so british racing green it's got 113,000 miles and the ac works the bad it's a jag um it's got a cracked head <laughs> and uh wicked expensive parts so i don't yeah. know I'd, apart from that filthy looking interior i'd almost be inclined to to keep it it's a jag. It's going to cost you money to fix whatever you do. So I would say flip it. 
I would put it in the backyard, take the roof off, and turn it into a spa. <laughs> <laughs> you could keep your pump and stuff under the bonnet, it'd be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Done. All right, so let's move on to the next one. It's a 2003 Dodge Stratus SXT Coupe. Uh, it's in red. The paint looks like it uh, desperately needs some love. Um, and was bought for $225. Um, the good, it's under $1,000 invested so far. It's got a cool bit of looking rust and uh, <laughs> near worthless in North Carolina with the rust. It's, it's got rust. It's got rust. It's got to go. Yeah, really. It's, uh, and it's not. And it's not just rust. Like you're talking about, like the body on the side even is rusted. So it's car yeah, cancer. I'll, it's got to go. It. Yeah, there's probably. You not know what? I'm disappointed that um, MythBusters is not anymore because I donated to MythBusters to blow yeah. up or something. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so I think we're all pretty universal on uh, ditch it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, moving through a little bit more, the 1994 Chrysler LeBaron convertible. So it's a, I think as as Chrysler, if you could picture a, a mid 90s convertible from them, it's pretty much exactly what it looks like. Uh, 200 bucks. Um, uh, interior looks fairly okay, like fairly. The tidy interior looks really good, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's um, it looks. It looks like it's not that old. I don't mean it looks good. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> the seats actually look pretty comfy in it, but the rest of it, it just looks like Batman's I, I, I could just imagine the smell of it, though. You know, like that musty smell that you get out of, like, really old yep. furry fabric. Yeah. Uh, the good, it's in teal. They're getting rarer. I, I, I don't know if this guy is, like, think is, is mixing up rarer for just many not Better. surviving on the road. Yeah. Um, it needs a water pump. It needs a valve stem seals and will never be worth anything. Unless you really want a convertible to cruise around in and as long as the repairs, you know, but I don't know. It could, could be kind of cool if you could fix those little bits fairly cheaply. Yeah, there's a lot of work on it that still needs to be done and at the end you've still got a little barren at the end of it. So <laughs> I'm going to copy-paste my answer from Dodge Stratus. I'd take, I'd keep it. Yeah, I, I think I would and and even use it to to play with it myself to you know, yeah, tear it apart. And... Hey, it's a LeBron. Yeah. All right. And I, and I only just wonder if the roof leaks. You know, every convertible <laughs> leaks, but I just wonder how bad. Um, have a look at the under bonnet shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen oh, worse. My, my nine-year-old's toy box looks tidy. Yeah. I, I've seen worse on, uh, what do you call it, Roadkill, uh, the Roadkill TV show oh, yeah. um, on Motor Trans. Yeah. So I look at that and go, nah, it's fixed. It, it's workable. <laughs> <laughs> um, or just ditch it and put a big V8 in there as big a V8 as you could fit in that space um, but next up it's another coupe this guy must love his uh, coupes and convertibles this is a $100 Chevy Cavalier LS um, good Sell it. it's good 68 miles 68,000 miles it's in yellow 5 speed it's got a moonroof bad no AC and it's got a dent from uh, dent in body from riding the lawnmower so, but I'd, I'd sell it just because of that steering wheel design it's awful 
<laughs> that's it. Oh no, come on. That's, that's a so classic. Bad. That's a classic nineties design. That's fantastic. I would no. I'd keep it because of the steering wheel. No, sell it. This would be my daily runabout, I reckon. No. <laughs> I would drive the hell out of it. <laughs> At least the paint looks in better nick than some of the other cars on one side. The other side looks pretty awful, but what are the It's bits? got the 2.2 litre Ecotec in it, which isn't a bad motor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So yeah, the Cavalier, so the Cavalier, so the other Cavalier has the same motor, I think, that he has. So you could probably rip parts out of one and put into the other. So yeah, yeah. All right, next yeah, one, another convertible. Mediocre. I can see why the homeowners association were kind of sick of it because <laughs> it's just shitty um, convertibles and coupes. So this is a Sebring convertible from Chrysler, four hundred dollars. So it's a bit more expensive. Um, this one's actually fight? not too bad. Yeah, I mean it's probably a shit box, but yeah, it actually I'd, looks okay. This would be one that I'd sell. I just feel like I'm sitting on an inf- half-inflated pillow. <laughs> I'm just just get the seats. photo of it, and in the background is another convertible. Yeah, <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> I think this guy's got a true problem. I, I can see why they. Uh... Yeah, I don't. Know. I'd, I'd get rid of it. Well, it's uh, a tough call because between. The Sebring convertible and the LeBaron convertible. The LeBaron is cooler because it's older. So, mm. but at least the Chrysler should have better parts availability. That's probably correct, the thing. Said. Correct. It, you know, it's a little bit newer, so I keep it as well because you know you can never have too many convertibles. So, <laughs> all right. So this is one that should be a little bit more interesting. Uh, so this is the Dodge Durango from two thousand four for four hundred bucks. Um, it's good. The utility, the towing, bad. It's got 235,000 miles and, and B, it's not worth much. But it's an SUV, I, keep it. Yeah, I think this could work. Like it's, <laughs> it, it should keep going. He's used it as a tow vehicle. It works. It's towed the, um, one of the other cars that we're going to come up to shortly as a, you know, as a car. So I'd say uh, it's not worth much. Don't sell it. Keep it. It works. Mm. Yeah, that one. I mean, it is ugly as sin really it is a pretty pretty horrendous looking design but it looks kind of trucky like an suv that's actually yeah. eating a truck yeah um I'd, I'd be i'd tend to keep this one too because you know obviously i'm going to have a few crap boxes laying around in the yard by the sounds of it um <laughs> i'd use it for exactly what he's using it for mm. utility and mm. towing yeah yeah all right so you know unanimous in this one this next one uh, I'd, I'd probably keep but I don't know if it would be the wisest decision. So this is a 2005 Chrysler Crossfire, bought for $3,500. The good, it's in great condition. It's got 111,000 miles, six-speed manual. Um, And uh, the bad, needs a new seat heater, Daimler parts issues, no aftermarket, no dealership support, and, um, yeah, the cost of running them is getting tougher and tougher. But, I always uh, thought these were good-looking cars. Yeah. I remember yeah, it's the, a, the it's a, that's a parts issue more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But same thing. I'd, I'd get rid of this one because I know I didn't fit in the... Um, in the Mercedes equivalent either. I was moving the seat backwards and the upright 
part of the seat started moving forwards as the seat base was moving backwards mm-hmm. because it was hitting the firewall behind the seat. So, yeah, I'm out for this one, but not because it's not a good-looking car. I reckon that's pretty cool. Mm. I mean, it, parts are only an issue when it breaks, yeah. and you've already got it, so keep it till it breaks. <laughs> and then whack it on your Durango and take it to the, to somewhere to sell it. That's right. Yeah. Yep. All right, 1995 Pontiac Firebird Formula, uh, $1,800, rough shape, um, I would say. Rough is an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he paid Just, this much for this compared to some of the other cars. Sell it. Have a look at that. Have a look at that interior. Yeah, that's what it says, the bad 90s GM interior. Mm. That is horrendous. Yeah, so sim- plain and I simple. Mean, nothing to do with the condition of it. It's just ugly. Mm. Dead set. Look it's, at that got to, it's got nothing to do with the car that it, it tried to be um, on the outside. <laughs> yeah, yep. awful. Awful. It don't even need to go through the good and bad. It's just, yeah, no, nah, nah. get rid of it. Flog it to somebody else who thinks it's a good idea. Um, this one, yet another damn convertible. Um, the Chrysler Sebring from 2001. Um, $1,800. Uh, fairly, fairly tidy. It's a bit of a newer. It's got a Cabrera on it, so I don't know what it's mm. like out of the front. Um, yeah. So it's blue on blue on blue. Um and uh, he's invested four four thousand dollars in it so far, and he knows that he'll never get that out of it. <laughs> so I think uh, unless he subscribes to the, to the idea of uh, sunk cost, I think he's going to hold on to this one. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's a bit newer, but I've already got two convertibles, so I'm going to say yes to another one. <laughs> well. Well, was there, yeah, so their results at the end. Yeah, so... Ditch um, the Jag. So they got no spa. They ran out of a spa bath, but anyway. Yeah, so he opted to sell four out of the ten, um, get rid of the Firebird, get rid of the Seabreen, get rid of the, the Dodge Stratus, and get rid of the, the Jaguar. Um, I would have... I could have easily called that list down to, to, to and just keep two or three cars <laughs> not even keeping six it would not have been hard no uh, and not and not even to please the homeowners association just to please yourself i think because yeah think so. ugly cars yeah. yeah and look if you're going to go on a buying spree at least buy cars that you could steal parts from to put in the other um maybe <laughs> to make your life a little well, bit he's got easier. a couple of sebrings there isn't he yeah he's got a few now it's like three sort of mm. But nah, so I think um, yeah. But I think it just highlights that how cheaply you can buy cars over there that are still oh. somewhat you know recognisable, drivable state. Yeah. yeah, even though some of them would just look way better with a with a clean um, and a in a freshen up in terms of just you know vacuuming and shampooing the carpets on the inside. I think those cars would look night and day alone, and you'd probably feel a bit better about holding onto them. Yeah. Clean your cars, people. It feels like a new car. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but 
All right, so um, let's let's smash through some of the uh, motorsport news. Probably the biggest thing heading um, heading into this weekend's uh, Formula One Grand Prix at Silverstone, uh, the British Grand Prix. Uh, so Sergio Perez tested positive um, on Thursday for COVID nineteen, um, and so he is now out for a minimum of ten days before he can um, come back within that Formula. One bubble. Um, a few other people within the team that you know, have been in close contact with him have also isolating at the moment. They haven't returned back positive results, but um, obviously it's it's it threw the the F one world into chaos. As um, now the questions around you know was going to be well, who is um, going to replace Checo in uh, in that racing point seat? And just before we started recording. Um, you know, there was some great investigative uh, work being done by people on Reddit. Um, some were watching uh, planes going in and out of uh, Monaco, and um, somebody spotted within an eight to ten-hour window on uh, Thursday night that a uh, private plane had left the closest uh, airport to Monaco and arrived at the closest airport to, to Silverstone, and um, and then somebody else made the connection that the uh, the people operating that flight. Um, the the private jet charter company was this very same company that uh, that Nico Hulkenberg um, had been sponsored by not too long ago, and um, and then obviously as we hit record, it had been confirmed as a f- free practice one started that Nico Hulkenberg is in there, and so um, I think it's a it's a great spanner in the works for for the weekend. Um, is this is this Hulk's best chance for a podium um, in his uh, current podiumless F1 career? Even though hilariously, if he does get a podium, it will be after you know it'd be the one race where he's actually filling in for somebody else it's an impressive <laughs> you know it's an impressive thing for him to be able to to go in and in you know that sort of team to to be a step above what he achieved with Renault so yeah I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what he does this week and I think everyone mm. is really watching to see what he can um, pull out with the with the team, he, he was slow to exit in uh, in first practice, um, but you can never really rely on first practice. I think P2 no. and P3 will be interesting for him. But, yeah, look, it's good to see. It's, it's sad that... I think he was in the top 10 of the timings um, throughout that. You know, obviously, you know, like you said, for practice is a, is a good indicator, but, you know, to be... I think he got up to fifth at one point, so it's reassuring that, you know, he hasn't driven a Formula 1 car since last year. It's a lot more recent than a few others... Uh, uh, had experienced, but you know the twenty. You know this racing point is going to be a lot different to the Renault he was driving. Um, but I guess it's it's going to be a great test of uh, showing how quickly he can pick it up again, and um, you know see if he can ring out the best out of a, a current spec. You know, in a fairly competitive racing point. Yeah, and what can he can achieve? So I think it's good to see. It's a nice pickup for a racing point. It's a shame that Sergio can't can't run this weekend but obviously yeah. he needs to, to serve his time to to clear of his covid infection Look, um, and, and the and the reports are that he probably wasn't the smartest in his decision of where he went or what he did in between um you know in that week break uh between between races so hopefully it's a 
it's an indicator to the rest of um, rest of the drivers and teams that you know you can't really get a little bit too complacent um, because there is so much riding. You know, it's not just uh, people's health and safety, but um, you know that is obviously the most important part because you've got so many people involved and in going to many different countries. But there's a lot of money invested in in, in Formula One, and um, you know having one driver even surely puts a lot of financial strain on a on a team like Racing Point. Um, and as well as Formula One itself. Yeah, look, it's a big thing right. for, for um, Racing Point to have to then change a driver, find a new driver at such such short notice, and to bring someone like you know Nico Hulkenberg into into yeah. the flow of things. So yeah, it's hasn't been the you know maybe the smartest move. Yeah, they um... Perez. Racing Point just uh, just tweeted too that. Um... Uh, Hulk has asked for a breather because his right butt cheek is getting a bit numb. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a life update for you. So um, yeah, oh, look, I, I I just really hope he does well because he's he, he seems to be a pretty affable guy and a good racer. He just always, you know, when he was with Renault, he had such a run of bad luck. Um, it was always somebody running into him in most instances. It wasn't mm. wasn't the other way around. So I hope he makes the most of this opportunity. And, you know, teams actually see him and, um, you know, re- reconsider the fact that he that he's without a seat. I, I think he deserves a seat. But again, having said that, like like you said, he, he is a a zero podium racer, and he did he did mm. have quite a few years to, to have a crack at it. Um, but surely there's some mentoring or senior driver role that he that he'd um, that he'd fit into with with one of the teams somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, you know, Renault was definitely going through, and they still are going through a fairly tough period you know it takes time to unless you're brawn it takes time to be competitive <laughs> um yeah you know in in formula one particularly with sort of how the hierarchy works and, and all that kind of thing so there's always going to be drivers that you know um kind of miss out on those on those opportunities i think stoffel van dorn is also a victim of that um and he was yeah. actually the preferred at that point um is the preferred reserve driver for uh, Racing Point, but at the moment, because of Formula E, the fun, like the finale races at the moment, the scheduling meant that he was unavailable. And I'm sure he's kicking himself of the opportunity. Um, you know, part of your mind will be like, "Ah, oh, damn, I wish I could be there because it's a chance to be." in a competitive car to sort of prove your worth, um, which I'm sure Hulkenberg, that's the opportunity he'll be seizing this weekend um, if he can make that work to, to prove, yeah, um, this is what I can do in a good car because I'm sure there's so many drivers, I'm sure George Russell feels that as well, um, that no matter how good he does in, in um, qualifying for in, in the Williams, um, he people still feel like oh imagine what he could achieve in 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 the mercedes for example um you know so yeah fifth in the last round for for qualifying but just died during the race yeah um, yeah it was part of that, let down based on how well he qualified yeah. yeah and you know and so that's you know that's a and that's still a williams thing as well because um uh latifi sort of had some trouble as well but he he showed some great he had a great start um and i think it was up to 10th at some point um in the race if i remember correctly 
But yeah, like this is this is part of the drama that we're having in um in in this season and McLaren obviously going on from strength to strength. So not only have they I think they had three new partnerships this week. The biggest one and the most um I think uh prevalent one is uh McLaren in golf coming back together again. Um so whilst they'll be doing a special weekend um, with golf livery and um, focuses on that on, on a weekend. I think, is it this weekend or the next weekend? Um, and then, but what they, they will be partnering from 2021 onwards, not only just in the Formula One um, team, but also their road cars as well. So they'll be the preferred um, uh, lubricant provider for McLaren race cars, uh, sorry, road cars. Um, so obviously... This is this is a confirmation that McLaren are on the right path. They're, they're showing signs of competitiveness. They're they're obviously like think of think back a few years when they basically had, you know, they had to put the model of the of the car on the vehicle itself to make it look like there's some some sponsors going on. Um, yeah. It was that bare. And um, you know, maybe this is this is the you know Ricardo was sitting back and going, oh, I cannot believe how this is all all aligned for for next year yeah, coming and together. the future. Yeah, you couldn't you know, and Zach Brown again has has done an amazing. You know, I think he has been instrumental in the success of you know their racing results so far this season and, and their pathway that which they've been on. Um, but also, obviously, those those financial partnerships, which are so crucial to to any Formula One team. Yeah, it's been great to see that golf livery, you know, come back. Will come back to the brand, and and that it's been so strong and stuff like that. So, such for such a simple sort of launch, it's nice to see that, um, you know, McLaren and Golf are, are kind of relaunching in in that area. But yeah. it's positive for for Ricardo for next year, and you know this. They've showed strong results this year, and uh, I think it's uh, it's good to see. And I think next year, but I think realistically, I think most of us are looking forward to 2022 with the the new rules mm. and the new changes, just to see where everyone effectively falls. At the end of the day, Mercedes have had such domination of uh, for this year and the last couple of years. So we hope that they don't continue next year with their you know, mass domination and there's a little bit of change, but with rules frozen, I don't think we'll really see a lot. But 2022 really leads to a to an interesting change in in, in what we'll see on uh, on track. Yeah. yeah, all we need is just uh, Williams to improve the performance a little bit and to have Martini come back, and we'll have a perfect grid. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that Martini Williams uh, livery. I think it. Yeah, it, it was great. a good looking livery. Yeah, it just so simple, but it worked. But uh, but look, so there was the the TCR S five thousand series as well had their um their opener postponed. Uh, Joel. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's a it's a real shame to see that that has happened. Unfortunately, due to sort of COVID restrictions and and everything mm. that's going on, particularly as as outbreaks are happening, but well, Victoria is still effectively in lockdown, and 
Sydney are having outbreaks and unfortunately it's starting to stretch into Queensland. But, um, yeah, so the the start of the Shannon's, Nash, Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championship has been postponed until October. Uh, now it was supposed to start as early as September. Um, look, you know, Motorsport Australia have been trying to work as hard as they can and they have their, their return to motor motorsport uh, plan put in place. But with these outbreaks, it's it hasn't been easy for them to try and do this and they're realistically trying to to keep their drivers and people as safe as possible and you know if you have to postpone it you have to postpone it it's just part of the what we live in at the moment and i think that it's smart move for them to do it ahead of time and and say look hey we don't believe we can do it properly we want to do this properly so we're going to propose postpone it so we could have a very busy end of year um with this they're now saying that um you know, it'll probably kick off later in the year, maybe mid-October, but no sort of real confirmation. Um, if it has to be, it has to be. Uh, I yeah. can, I yeah. you know, commend Motorsport Australia for doing what they're doing, and it, it, like like supercars have done, they've really tried to react to that, um, and we're seeing that at the moment. That you know, now that with Brisbane becoming a hotspot now, supercars have had to react, and, and we talked about it last week that supercars have moved teams from as soon as they finished in Sydney at the last round to move across the border uh, into Queensland and I was actually wrong last week I must admit I said that um, a couple of teams had moved to Dreamworld they actually moved to, to Movie World and SeaWorld and um, there's a cool little video that uh, Tickford released across this the road. week it's fine. yeah it's, <laughs> it's kind of that same area but not quite the same but you know cool to see Tickford released a little video mm. this week of their guys checking into the SeaWorld resort where they're based and um Look, it's been amazing to see. There was a very interesting story uh, during the during the week that was released, talking about uh, a couple of the drivers and what they're trying to trying to do in terms of being able to. Um, you know, Gary Jacobson, for example, who, you know, who's not a full-time driver. He, he, he literally is racing the series, doesn't have a full-time job, and he's getting some financial support from supercars so that mm-hmm. he can stay based in Queensland, he can stay safe away from the outbreaks in the other areas. Um, so, you know, it's good to see that the, the teams are getting support, that the guys can stay out of, stay in this bubble, do what they need to do. You know, the guys aren't too far away from moving into the Northern Territory. Mm. Um, the Northern Territory is now considered Brisbane a hotspot. So most of the teams are based on the Gold Coast, so at least that's kind of away from it. But it's, you know, it, it's it Soon getting Soon before we know close. it, they've gone from Victoria to Sydney to Brisbane. Now they're going to probably, what are they going to do? They're going to drive up to, <laughs> to the Northern Territory. Well, they're going to go from town. They're going to go Northern Territory into Townsville. So, you know. And then they'll end up in Perth and then we've gone full circle. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, you know, at the moment we've got two races in in, um, Darwin starting from August. So we've got eight and nine in Darwin and then 15 and 16. And then they head to Townsville. So, you know, as long as it's not not great to see that there's an outbreak in Queensland. Queensland have done such a great job of staying safe for so long for, you know, for you guys up there. Mm. But if, they can keep that 
<laughs> restricted to Brisbane and that surrounding area, the, the guys can effectively leave Townsville when, or leave Darwin when they finish, drive across to Townsville, and at least, you know, there's been rumours, it's not been confirmed, but there's been rumours that they will do a double header in Townsville for another two rounds at this stage. They're scheduled for run, one round at the end of August in Townsville, but mm. it'd be great to possibly see two rounds at that circuit so the circuit at least gets two rounds. When was the last time we see, you know, two two rounds at a street circuit back to back? How exciting would that be? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's good. I mean, we're getting we're getting a championship. We're getting racing. Um, you know, we've seen it in F one. F one's doing really well this year with what they've been able to achieve and and get more and more rounds happening. Um, unfortunately, from Townsville, they're due to come back to Victoria and then Bathurst. Look, will those happen? <sighs> Who knows? But it's not looking good. Uh, I would love to see sort of two rounds happen in Townsville back to back, whether it be one week or two weeks apart. But at least being if the guys can afford to stay in Townsville for two weeks or in that area, I think that would be great for the for the sport to be able to get an extra two rounds in. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been hard, and, and I know the guys at Supercars are, are working as hard as they can to to really give us that extra championship rounds where they can. You know, we get, we're supposed to go from Townsville to Sandown. I really don't think Sandown's going to happen. Bathurst is... There's no outbreaks out that far west at the moment. Yeah, so think, finger, fingers crossed. Look, if it needs to be run without spectators, look, look, let's run it without spectators, but at least we get to watch it on TV. Um, look, the TV rights are up in the air at the moment because of obviously 10 withdrawing from them, but they don't withdraw until after Bathurst. So maybe we'll get that on free to air. Uh, then they're supposed to go to to Perth and then then Tassie and then Sydney. So look, Sydney is doubtful. Tassie is very doubtful. Um, and Perth is, you know, it's a big ask for the guys to leave Bathurst and then head across to Perth. But look, who knows what they achieve? But um, you know, the guys. Supercars have done an amazing job with putting together a, a championship. Hey, we've got racing. There's, there's other series that, yeah. you know, the, the guys at TCR, as we've discussed, have been pushed back to sort of October now. But you've got to give the guys at Supercars mm. an amazing credit for what they've been able to pull together and, and achieve. So, look, who knows what we'll see this couple of weeks. But we're getting mm. racing. We've had some great racing already. Um, I can't wait to see the back-to-backs in, in, uh, in Darwin and then heading into to Townsville. So, um, yeah, it's going to yeah. be... It's- I, I did boo just... I did boo just purely out of self-interest, um, but I really, really want to see S five thousand up and running. Yeah, uh, oh, I think we all do. And, 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 get bit, and get a bit more that. of a taste for TCR as well. And having, but, I mean, and having yeah, seen, it's, it's like you said, you know, this is it's, it's a difficult circumstance, and obviously safety has to come first. So, um, yeah, I got to stop being greedy, I guess. Having watched S five thousand. You know, it's amazing to watch. Sports all over the world are facing challenges. So even like college football, which I follow quite closely, um, they're trying to adjust their seasons to to make it work, whether it's reduced stadium capacities and or or whatever. And obviously, you know, they're facing even bigger issues in America for for COVID and things like that. I think it's like four point five million cases Mm -hmm. at the moment. But you know, they they're going to they're making changes that not everybody is completely happy about but it's necessary so um the way that the college football season is restructured with basically um 
in conference games only. So you're not playing anyone across any conferences except for maybe one or two games. And so that means some of these longest running rivalries that have been happening in college football won't be happening this year. So Georgia versus Georgia Tech has been going for 95 consecutive years. 95 consecutive years. And it won't be happening this year. Um, other rivalries have been going for 60, 62 years and they won't be happening this year. And so I think it's, you know, I think the reality is, is that, yeah, we have to be a little bit more flexible. We have to know that, you know, this sucks, but, you know, whack a mask on, sanitize your hands, social distance, because as we've seen in, in, in Queensland, three, it, all it takes is three people to not do that and to go against, you know, sort of the, the requirements of what they need to keep themselves safe and everybody else safe. And all of a sudden, you've thrown local businesses, racing series. Like uh, it, the knock-on effect is is massive. Yeah, and you look at so, what the NBA have yeah. achieved with what they've done. They've just yep. relaunched for their season, um, and we saw the first couple of games today, which were, you know. As an NBA fan, amazing to watch in a in a situation where no one has home court advantage. Everyone is different, and they've created this amazing bubble for teams and and players and and staff. Um, and supercars have done the same thing, and yeah. F1's doing the same thing. So everyone's working as hard as they can. But we should all be really thankful that we actually have this sport on TV because we haven't had live sport for a while. Um, no. And for what yeah. we're getting. It's amazing, and the sacrifices that are people are making. You know, the NBA guys are being away from family and stuff like that. The supercars guys are don't know when they'll see families again in their home state because they're literally going to be locked away from them for a long period mm, of time mm. um, just so that we can watch sport on TV. So we've yep. got to thank these guys for what they're doing. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's just it's amazing stuff and it's great to see that we can have – we can say we can watch live sport. Yeah, yeah I think uh, I think Steve Adams summed it up best. The um, you know the Kiwi basketballer from Oklahoma City. Hmm. They asked him what it was like to be living in the bubble, and he goes, "It's not Syria, mate." <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, our hardships are uh, are pretty minor when if you're missing out on a little bit of sport. So I think he yeah. summed that up quite nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, let's uh, let's leave it there um, for tonight. Uh, free practice too is about to start, so I'm keen to tune into that. Um, see how the Hulk goes and his racing point for for this weekend. Um, but look, yeah, if if you have any thoughts to share, if you if you have an article that you want us to read or a vehicle you want us to review, email us. That's a, that's the easiest way. Shows at dailyautofix.com. Um, Otherwise, uh, yeah, thank you, Joel, Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo. And uh, thanks to you, Mick, Mick McWilliams at Low Flight Tech. And um, yeah, thank you, gentlemen. And um, we'll, I guess, well, hopefully, uh, see you all here next week. Thanks, Chance. We'll speak to you next thanks. week. Great. Cheers, Chance. Bye. All right. See ya.